At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. How's everyone's day going so far? Here is a look at the overall market in my Benzinga Pro watch list. You can see way more green than red on the screen. You've got the, the defensive trade um, trading down today, right? You got staples in the red. You got energy in the red, industrials in the red, banks uh, flat, basically. But everything else more or less in the green, driven by um, communication services, which is basically just Amazon. Um, and tech, I mean, look at the Qs. Qs up 2% today. XLK, which is more or less the same thing, up 1.3% today. Apple's up. The Russell's up. All right. We have ourselves a green day. That that that, that That's going to be a nice way to uh end of the month let's bring up some charts here let's not let's not bring that chart up let's bring up a chart of the spy and let's just go let me just zoom in let's just zoom way in on the spy and we're just going to go and look at the spy versus the q's versus the iwm and you can see it has been a pretty rough couple of months now last year of the month a lot will be written about that this is the worst month for the uh, the S and P since March 2020. Worst month for the Nasdaq in what, like three years, four years, something like that. Um, so at the moment we do stand poised to close the month on a high note, but everyone sees red for this month. Now the question is, what does that mean going forward? Um, I, I I think frankly we still need to sell rips and buy dips. Okay, so uh, you're seeing tech up today, right? Like you can look at ARKK, which is having a pretty good. I, I, ARKK is 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 getting inflows. People are still putting money into like net inflows. People are still trying to buy the dip in in ARKK. Um, let's go to an intraday chart on that. Come on, there we go. I mean, it's having a really good day. I just like don't think you can chase anything on the upside or downside i f i would much rather just excel into any of these green candles and buy a red candle as hard as that is but that's sort of just where my head is at right now i i and that that goes for anything across the board right um patrick star says are we really up yeah we are really up i mean let's just go back to that spy chart we are really up um, of course, let's just let's just refrain from uh, judging anything until the last half hour of the day, because uh, or even the last hour, because that has proven to be uh, extremely, extremely volatile. So can we actually hold these gains is a whole other question. But for the moment, we're green, which I guess is something. Um, look, I mean, we've just been range bound choppiness in the for the last I mean, really the last couple of months, but in the last week in particular, it's just been choppy. Right. And, and that's kind of what I'm just expecting here going forward, at least through the March Fed meeting, at least. I just can't see us like ripping higher. I don't think like the end of the world is near. 
Okay, people that are calling for like a massive correction, I don't see it. it sure, it could definitely happen, but corrections like this, that, that like what we've had, are normal. Let's 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 sit on that for a second. These corrections are normal. I saw a really good chart uh, earlier this morning, and I want to uh, let me see if I can bring it up right now. It was from it's from Wedbush, I think. It's from Wedbush, and. He looked at that's a tough one. Let me see if I can find it for you real fast and bring it up on the screen. It was a chart that showed the number. Yeah, here it is. Um, I'm going to share my screen real fast so y'all can see. It, it looked at the number of corrections per year or the number of. Um, here, I can't, I'm not going to do a good job of, of explaining it. So I'm just going to show it on the screen right now. Um, here we go. It's about a chart about drawdowns, all right? This chart shows the number of drawdowns in the S&P 500 um, per year, like a 1%er, a 5%er, a 10%er, and how often they these occur on average. So looking at the top row, we get a 1% decline in the S&P every single year since the start of the Great Depression, every single year. We, it happens all the time. Uh, we get a 5% decline in the S&P a little over every year, about every 1.1 years. 10% about every year and a half, give or take. 15%, now we're talking every two and a half years, so it's not super common, but again, it does happen. 20%, which is an actual bear market, occurs on average every four years. We just had that um, two years ago. Um, and so, so, you, so the, and then you just go beyond that, and you can just see, I mean, we get a 50% correction every 47 years, so that almost never happens, but it does happen, right? Um, and the reason I like this chart is because, oh, and the source is from, uh, um, is that Charlie Blail? Charlie Blail? He's a great follower on Twitter. Um, drawdowns happen, right? These things happen. I saw uh, a note from Raymond James this morning that was drawing, that basically saying that right now, today's market looks very similar to January 2016. Right. Let, let's go to January 2016 um, on, on on my spy chart, and I can just show you what what happened then. I remember I was I was working at Benzinga then. I I remember it. I, we we basically went down to start the year because the Fed was raising rates. Let's let's this is a weekly. Let's just zoom way out of here. Oh my gosh! Look, January. There we go. January 2016. So we ended the year in the spy. We ended the year at at uh, what is that? One at two o three, and we we got down to one eighty one in in the first half of January from two o three to one eighty one. Okay, um, and recall what happened the prior fall. Uh, the Fed started raising rates again, right for the first time since the Great Recession. So. They were drawing parallels to this. The market that we're in right now, it doesn't feel, and I know like trusting your feelings is silly, but it doesn't like feel, to me at least, like the sky is falling. I don't know. Like I'd be curious what you all think in the chat. Do you feel like the sky is falling? It doesn't feel like the sky is falling. It feels kind of normal to me. No. <laughs> okay, here. So sorry. I have to catch up on the chat. 
Um, ba 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 ba. Thank you, Jadid. I appreciate that. Does this charge so much money was in the system at the time of each of these downfalls? No. Are you referring to like the M1 money supply, which I I don't have a great understanding of that number. I mean, I know there's more money in the system now than there ever has been, but I think relying on a, uh, one number like that, any one number is, I think, recipe for being misled because there are thousands of indicators that affect markets. Um, so anyway, my point was these things happen. Let's not freak out. Even if like, I, even if I end up being right and we just get chop for the rest of the year, like that's okay too, right? We don't <laughs> look at the year we just had. Look at last year. Do we have a, we had what one down month last year? How many down months did we have last year? And this is in the S and P. We had okay. So January of twenty twenty one was a down month. January, September, and November. We had three down months all year. So basically, we went, and those down months were. I mean, they were small. I guess with the exception of September. Sorry, it's been a, it's been a minute since we had a, a a month that was this far down, but still, <laughs> we basically went straight up last year. It's okay. Down, we're allowed to have down months. I'm not freaking out. Um, and frankly, like a lot of the stocks that have been punished for the last year, like a lot of the growth tech. Um, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> I guess they're bound to stop going down eventually. Here's a monthly on ARKK. Right, these these stocks have been ahead of the overall market in terms of the direction, right? Because we've talked about this at nauseum. They've been falling for a year, as opposed to the overall market, which has been falling for for like a month and a half at this point, right? Um, so does that mean that these are going to turn? Are these are going to bottom first and turn around? I mean, it, it could. I I to be honest, I have flirted with the idea. I I know I said I, I, I wouldn't buy anything. I have not bought anything for a while. Truthfully, I haven't bought. Um, I don't even know the last thing I bought was I, I, I think it was like in August. Um, but you know, the, the more we fall, yeah, it makes things interesting to me. I'm not gonna lie to you guys, whether it's ARK here. Well, for me, it's the ARKW because that's that's what I've got. Or some people keep mentioning SoFi. Like how low is SoFi right now? So it's at twelve dollars. All right, so I'm getting like solidly punched in the mouth here. I'm not going to buy more SoFi. Just to be clear about that, I I have my position. I'm comfortable with it. The reason I'm comfortable with it is because it's not very large. Adding more would just be making it larger. It would just make me sweat more. So I'm not adding to SoFi. Um, but I'm I'm not underwater in some in like ARKW. I think I'm almost back to my break even at this point. Um, I could potentially get talked to adding more into like an ETF like this, provided, and this is the caveat, provided we go sideways for a little while, right? A couple weeks of sideways action, up, down, up, down, up, down. Like if ARKW falls to, you know, 80, I'm not trying to catch that knife, right? But we get some sideways action. I, I could get talked into it. I can get talked into it. I really could. Um, sorry, I'm looking at like four things at once, so I'm, I'm trying to watch the chat and talk at the same time. Um, 
Now, all this being said, th th that's in my own portfolio. I, I want to throw in uh, a, a question out to you all. All right. Uh, over the weekend, it came to my attention that um, a relative of mine, my, my aunt, um, had, she, she called me up. She said, Spencer, I've got $20,000 that just moved into a Fidelity account. Um, and she said, what, what should I do with it? <laughs> so I'm going to really have the question to you. Um, a, you know, middle-aged woman uh, who is um, not going to need this money for a while, right? This is theoretically money that, that she's not going to use until she retires. Um, 20 grand. How would you approach that? Easy Mike, easy Mike, you're going with a safe answer, okay? So th this is what I wrote. I wrote down a list. I, 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 I gave her a list of things that I would buy. It was VU, it was EFA, and then I, I threw a little Bitcoin on there. That was my list. But I am open to riskier idea. I'm not trying to gamble with this money, okay? But I am open to other ideas. Um, yeah, Patrick, AB is an ape, unfortunately. Uh, that's that. That's what we've come to at this point. Um, Jay Rice says Tesla calls. All right. I mean, see that that I know. I know he's only. I know he's not serious. But those are the kind of ideas that I'm not writing anything off. Okay. Um, Yolo, Yolo into that GME. There are better ideas than that. Sorry. Brian Blockchain, can you drop me a ticker? Uh, Brian Blockchain says he would do an OShares ETF. Can you be more specific, please? As far as what what OShares ETF you would buy, I I am thinking some dividends. I'm thinking some some sort of dividend thing. Someone said suggested the. The Nasdaq cover call ETF for income. Okay, not a terrible idea. OUSA, get those fat dividends. Okay, okay. I'm gonna add OUSA and QLYD to my. Let me write them down right now. OUSA, QLYD. All right. I'm not buying. AT&T for the dividend. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, Sadat, what do you want, man? What, what, what's going on with what? I mean, we're trading higher. That, that, that's what's going on. Uh, Easy Mike says half VU, half uh, Bitcoin. Half, wow. All right. That might be... I don't know how I feel about that, actually. It's definitely aggressive. It's definitely aggressive. I don't hate it. I, I, feel, I, I don't know if I, I think I'd rather do one or the other, either ARK or Bitcoin, preferably not both. Um, okay, Star Smoke. This is sort of related to my question, but a, a little bit different. I'm a student with 10K in savings. I don't want to let it sit in the bank account. All right, well, you're a student, which means you're young, presumably. Maybe not, but I'm, I'm assuming you're young. Um, I guess the question is Star Smoke, and this is a, this is a, like the advisor question, but like, what do you want to do with the money? 
do you want to just like let it sit there and grow? Do you want to like actively trade it? Do you care about actively? Some people, frankly, just want to set it and forget it. Like, what's that? Uh, that infomercial, right, for the chicken rotisserie thing, right? You set it and forget it. Some people want to do that. Some people want to set and forget like part of it, and then have some fun with like the other part. You can do that too. Um, so that's the first thing I would say is, what do you want to do with the money? Um, if the answer is you want to set it and forget it, then I would just buy like the VOO or the SPY and I would just call it a day, right? Boring, simple, uh, pretty conservative. Um, and then you're done. Um, in fact, that's what I would probably do for, for even if you wanted to like play, you know, play with it a little bit, I would probably, I would take a, maybe like a big chunk if it were me, like half, throw it in like VOO and then play with the other half, right? Maybe you win, maybe you lose. Um, that's what I would do. <laughs> All in on Arc. Arc G. Have you guys seen Arc G? Poor biotech. Arc G is just getting. I mean, the the whole biotech trade. I guess Arc G is really not not that dissimilar to the rest of the Arc funds. But the whole biotech trade has been so. Let's look at ARGG compared to XBI and IBB. Oh, hey. Go ARC. ARCG is actually demolishing those other ones. See, this is an oh, this is interesting. Okay, so I didn't realize this until just now. I, I just arbitrarily went back to May of 2020. You can play with the time frame and, and get different data. But um, these are three biotech growth ETFs, ARCG, IBB, XBI. ArcG is crushing them. And what does ArcG different do that those who don't? It's actively managed, right? She's they're constantly buying and selling biotech stocks. Um, and she's outperforming. And so this is a better comparison. Rather than compare like ARKG to like ARKW or, or ARKK, compare it to the other biotech ETFs. Because that it's the same industry, same sector. She's now I I haven't seen anything written about that, but they're crushing it. They are, cr I mean, I, they're getting, <laughs> they are getting crushed compared to the overall market. But if you compare them to just their peers, and again, if you play with the time frame, you get different results. That's kind of the point. But if you go short term, you know, go back a year, they're getting crushed, right? But go back two years, they're still crushing it. So you get different numbers with different, different time frames. That's kind of the point. Time horizons are arbitrary. But, huh, interesting. I hadn't seen that before. Um, okay, so what else did I want to do? I wanted to um, look at just the top gainers and losers of the day. Um, I have on a, a different screen here. Some of these stocks that are up today are just, I mean, no offense if you're if you're in these like for long-term things, but like Arrival, right? Like ARVL. I feel like every other day, this stock is like leading my up filter or my down filters. Every other day. ARVL. Come on. We talk about like selling rips. There's a rip to sell. Look at the trend here. I mean, again, 
<laughs> you know what to say about it. It's your number one gainer today. It's like the top gainer on my screen. And it, but it's, it's, it's a trash stock. It may not be a trash company. For all I know, this could end up being one of the ones that make it. But it's a trash stock, frankly, right now. So, uh, yeah, please be cautious uh, chasing anything like that. Um, what else is trading up today? Like Fiverr? FVRR? Up 16%. Here, you know what? Does Fiverr actually have... Um, have uh, have revenue, yeah they do. What well, do they have earnings though? They don't. No earnings. Great. All right. Growth stock up sixteen percent. I mean they're buying growth today. That's what just that's just the way it is. They're buying growth. They're buying Arc. They're buying stocks like Fiverr. Like how is Zoom doing today? Yep, just having a good day. Um. How's Peloton doing? Peloton, they're just buying growth. There's nothing specific. There's no. There's no real reason. There's, there's nothing behind it. It's just a growth day. That's what it is. Robinhood, I bet you. I bet your hood's up without even looking. I bet you're up six percent. Oh, I stand corrected. Thirteen percent. Excuse me. Fourteen dollars. Fourteen and a half bucks now on Robinhood. Um, there is a part of me that wants to see this go lower so that I can buy it, right? I am in the camp that Robinhood will get acquired eventually. My personal theory, which is based on absolutely nothing, is that Fidelity will buy them. Um, not at $14 a share, though. Like, if Robinhood got to, like, like 7 bucks or 6 bucks, I would probably buy it on speculation that they could take it out at like nine or 10, right? Um, I would for sure do that. That's not, that's, that's not a good strategy, but again, it would be as, it would be sort of like a uh, small YOLO trade for me. Um, anyway, Robinhood, since that earnings report, which again, was not great to put it, to be generous was, it was not great. Um, we, we're, we're now up um, almost 50% in the two days. Since that earnings report. Can't argue with that. Uh, SoFi doesn't have the the capital. There's no... What, what, what is SoFi worth? I don't even know. SoFi? No. SoFi has a market cap of 9 bill. That's less than Robinhood. They wouldn't... They, no. No. That, that doesn't work. I think Fidelity could buy them because the bottom line is... You know, Robinhood has what? Uh, $100 billion in assets and 22 million accounts? That's worth something. Right? So I think someone's buying Hood, but they're not buying it at 14. I hope you see it go down so I can buy it. That, that, that's where I'm at. Um, Twilio? Someone saying buy Sava. Twilio, Twilio is on my like watch list. I'm not doing anything with it, but it is on my like keep an eye on this stock list. Mostly because this um, it is a good company, 
I just started listening to a podcast about Twilio. Um, by the way, if you guys ever need to write podcast recs, I listen to a lot of podcasts. But uh, the podcast from uh, – crap. Uh, uh, it's called Business Breakdowns. It's the name of the podcast. And they did an episode on Twilio uh, a few months ago. And actually, it was, it was almost a year ago now. And I just started listening to that. But I think Twilio I – mean, we use Twilio at Benzinga. I think they're a great company. Obviously, the stock speaks for itself. The chart speaks for itself. But this is one that I would like consider buying at some point. I don't know when, though. I and I, I can't use Salva. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't, I, this is a stock that you have to understand what is happening with their drug, and I don't – I haven't bothered to learn, and I'm not going to. So, um, sorry. I'm not buying Salva. Um, anyway – Catching up here. Let, let, let's go over to uh, to crypto land, and again, we'll have Matt Hammond on in a couple minutes to talk IPOs. But let's just take a quick heat check on crypto and uh, see what's up and what's down today. Does that sound good? Let's do that. All right, here's the heat map. If you're on Benzinga.com slash markets slash cryptocurrency, uh, the heat map is there. They just moved it down, further down on the page, but there it is. Uh, so, hey, it's a growth day, which means crypto should be higher, and it is, right? Bitcoin, 38,800. ETH, uh, 2,600. Uh, Binance Coin, 385. Uh, Cardano, oh, my gosh. Look at Solana. Below 100. I did buy some uh, some Ethereum and some Bitcoin. I, uh, I've been doing. Uh, I, ha I have a recurring monthly purchase, so just adding adding a little bit more. But I kind of think that's the only way to do this is to just do a recurring thing. If you've got a small position like I do, if you own like a lot of Bitcoin or crypto, then kudos to you. You have to have a high risk tolerance. I don't have that kind of risk tolerance, so. I'm just buying a little more, a little more, a little more every single month. And that's how I'm going to survive the crypto winter, I think. Um, sorry, I'm just reading the chat. I, I don't even know what you guys are talking about right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is the heat map. You can find this on Benzinga.com slash market slash cryptocurrency. If you want free bitcoin all you have to do is download the voyager app the voyager app you use your offer code zing z-i-n-g you open your account you fund it with 100 bucks you make a trade any trade will do and voyager will send you 50 bucks in bitcoin just for opening the account check it out voyager.com zing is your offer code um by the way how many on likes Oh, no. Likes are not working for me. 39 likes. Come on. I got some beautiful bored apes behind me. Can I get like a little bit more love than that? 50 maybe? 49 even? I think we can do it. Anyway, um, something else I wanted to do that we don't do enough of on this show, frankly, is we don't go to Benzinga.com. So let's go to Benzinga.com. 
and look at the top stories on our homepage right now because, again, we publish, I don't even know, like hundreds of stories a day. Not even kidding. Hundreds of stories a day. See, I made this note this morning as well. Our top stories and analyst. We have two top stories on. Um, uh, well, no, this is an analyst, and this is Vinco Ventures, and this is Joe Rogan. So, all right, let's talk about all these things right now. Um, the analysts on weeks when there's or days when there's not a lot going on, the analysts can and will move stocks. They moved it this morning. Let me let me show you what I mean in in Benzinga Pro. Analysts were moving stocks this morning. They're moving Spotify. They're moving Beyond Meat. They're moving Netflix. Um, where's my pro? Come on, pro. Where'd you go? There it is. So here's, let's go to a calendar in pro. I'm going to show you. This is Benzinga Pro, our real-time news and research platform. Let's go to a ratings calendar. And you can see. Look at all these ratings today. The analysts are playing catch up from, from the, all the earnings from last week, but because there's not a lot, like there's no like macro driver of the day, they can move stocks. So like, let's go to Spotify, for example, right? There's a whole Joe Rogan thing going on, which uh, I don't know. Did you guys see the, uh, the video he posted on Instagram? I'm not a, a big Joe Rogan fan, but I thought that was a really, really good video. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Joe Rogan obviously in the news a lot because um, Neil Young and uh, uh, crap, who's the other? Uh, uh, not I the name too. Not Joan Baez. Video. It was. Uh, who's the other woman that uh, that's taking her music off the platform? Anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, they're taking their music off Spotify because Joe Rogan and the guests he has on the show, he posted a really good video on Instagram where he basically was like, yeah, I, I could do a better job of, of, of getting both sides. And Joni Mitchell, thank you. Um, and he seems to like take the fact that he has a huge audience very seriously, which as someone who has a tiny audience of 200 people watching, uh, I can appreciate. So um, he seemed to be very genuine. Now, this kind of a thing, like this whole Joe Rogan saga, this, this kind of a headline is not the kind of headline that Wall Street really cares about. Like, it's news, but there's a difference between, like, news news and news that the market cares about. This, the market does not care about this Neil Young, Joe Rogan thing. It straight up doesn't. All right? If there are any, like, impacts in terms of, like, Joe Rogan, like, leaving the platform, then, yeah, that's worth something, right? But uh, an artist or two or four leaving Spotify does nothing to Spotify's bottom line. Therefore, the market does not care. So I would say whenever you're looking at news and you see news out there like in the world as it pertains to a stock, uh, think about does this headline affect the bottom line or future earnings? If it doesn't, then just know that the market will not care. That's the truth. Um, this is not a headline that the market cares about. It will trade independently. Even if this, like let's just say, like the the Joe Rogan thing. Let's just say it get, it gets it, it picks up steam. Let's let's just pretend that whatever like the story is now, it just gain it keeps gaining momentum for weeks, like into next week. Unless Joe Rogan like leaves Spotify, the street will not care. The stock will do 
what it's it's going to trade, frankly, with the market. I, I don't even know if, if the market cares about earnings right now. Spotify earnings, I think, are Wednesday, right? Earnings, I think, are kind of irrelevant in the short term. Actually, I know they're irrelevant in the short term, right? But let's just look at, like, Apple last week. Great quarter. Where's that chart? Great quarter. Gave back all its earnings gains overnight. Short-term earnings don't matter. Long-term, they do. So anyway, Spotify's earnings on, on I think it's, uh, is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday or Thursday. I don't remember when. It's um, It's Wednesday. Spotify reports on Wednesday. They're probably going to report, you know, slow growth because every subscription service has said that, and that's what Spotify is at the end of the day. Um, but it's going to trade with the market. If the market goes higher, Spotify will go higher. If it goes lower, Spotify will go lower. It's that simple. Um, today it's higher. It's up 12%. Market's up. I think really keeping it simple like that is kind of the way to go. Um, and also, I would love some um, opinions uh, from the chat as far as which earnings calls you would like Benzinga to stream this week. Uh, last week, we streamed uh, Tesla. We did Apple. We did uh, Robinhood. We did Netflix the week before that. Here's the calendar for the week. Drop the tickers in the chat that you want to see us stream earnings calls for. And I'm really I'm referring to the after hours session. We're, we're not going to stream calls in the morning. But for the after hours session, like for tomorrow, for example, would you want to see like Alphabet and GM? I'm thinking we probably wouldn't do more than two. Or AMD or PayPal. By the way, you can watch all these calls at your leisure. I mean, they're available on the Investor Relations website. The, the, the links are in Benzinga Pro, but go to the, the IR page on any of these sites, and you can you can watch them yourself. I'm just asking which calls do you want to see us stream, and you, and you can come hang out with us. Um, so we're obviously going to do Facebook or Meta. Sorry. We're obviously going to do Meta on Wednesday and Amazon on Thursday. But Daniel wants to see Ford. Yeah, I think we'll probably do Ford too. Daniel, Intel, shoot. Wait, is Intel even on here? That might be an error. If it is, I'm reading over it. <laughs> I don't even know where it is. Um, let's see, PayPal. Okay, if you see some more PayPals. Um... Aurora Cannabis, we're not going to stream that one. Sorry. Intel was not. Thank you. I, I was like, I don't I don't see that on here. Okay. So we're probably going to do Google slash Alphabet tomorrow. Um, we'll do Facebook slash Meta on Wednesday. Maybe Spotify. You guys want us to, you know, you know, you want us to stream Spotify? Do you care about that? Thursday, we'll do Amazon Ford. Shoot, is Coinbase is uh is um not this week? I I I don't think so. Uh, that's the question for next week. Um, but let us know who you want to see us stream. Tweet at us, right? Um, okay, 
Let's do this. It is 12.08, and I've been running solo here for a hot minute, and it's been fun. But let's bring on our first guest of the day, Matt Hammond. He runs IPOWarriors.com, and he always uh, has good thoughts on both what happened last week in IPO land, how he traded it, and what is happening this week. And the reason I like Matt's take is because um, I naturally have a longer-term point of view on things. I, I can't really help it. Matt's got a super short-term view on things. Matt is trying to, like, day trade these IPOs. And that strat the, the way to do that, the mindset to have is so very different than the mindset to have when you're, like, talking about, like, a, a longer-term investment, right? And so it's a whole different side of your brain. And I like I like hearing what he has to say because, like, what I might assume is a is a a good IPO, to him is like an amazing trading opportunity, and vice versa, right? An IPO that he wouldn't touch for a trade, I might is one that I might look at for a long term thing. But it's it's very different things. Uh, yes, and Cal, don't worry, that'll be my first question. So without further ado, let's bring on Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors, Matt. Uh, good morning. Well, good afternoon for you. Good evening for you. Good evening. Uh, yeah, yeah. How are things? How are things over there? Oh man, same as they were last week and the week before that. Um, I'm in Ukraine, so we are kind of making preparations for you know possibly having to get out of here. Uh, we got the dogs chipped over the weekend. Um, oh. We have our kind of like uh, they did give emergency visas uh, to my wife, so. Uh, Okay. There's okay. kind of like just being ready, but uh, you know they're not all that hysterical here. They're kind of like you know we've been in war for you know since 2014 with Russia. Um, the U.S. is I think stoking a lot of panic in some ways, and certainly the media loves the story and just can't get enough of it. Um, and I don't know if that's really a disservice or a you know I don't know I get five times a day from every member of my family and friends, you know, which I appreciate people checking in on me, but uh, we're doing what we can to prepare and uh, likely will, you know, if things get heated over the next week, I think we have about a probably a week or two window before anything really kicks off because they're not going to do, or the prevailing theory is nothing's going to really happen during the Olympics. Um, China and Russia are pretty close and I don't think China wants that kind of headline overshadowing its event uh, in okay. 2014 they waited for their own winter olympics in sochi to conclude before they annexed crimea and um we're just you know putting ourselves in position to okay uh, to be ready to go so it sounds like things have not like gotten worse and maybe they won't get worse with the olympics coming up for for a minute you know you know it's just it seems like we have a little bit of a respite here and it does yeah, seem a little bit good. weird if you're gonna invade you know or attack somebody to spend all this time sitting on you know on the front door instead of just uh, kind of using the element of surprise so this feels yeah. like there's some other kind of uh provocation or okay. agenda at play here but i'm not really a politician i just am trying to keep my family safe and that's uh you know, well, that's we obvi that's obviously what we are rooting for here is just everyone's safety so it's good to hear that things haven't gotten worse that's that's like the 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 headline here and that's that's good um and yeah let's go to the the market i don't know i don't know how much you can focus on that right now or how easy or difficult you're finding it but um 
I see. In some ways, it's a welcome. Yeah, it's a welcome distraction. Um, Okay. And on days like today, when I'm not dancing around margin calls and kind of got myself into a safer position there, it's more more enjoyable than the last probably two weeks have been. Um, But you know, when you're flipping IPOs, you know the bulk of my wins and really the kind of life changing uh, strategy that I used last over the last year and a half has been to get in and out. Like you said, I'm getting into these pretty quickly. Uh, The move has changed a little bit. I've been talking about that in the newsletter where it used to be really by the IPO debut, like the, like the opening trade off the, you know, when the IPO starts trading and just ride the initial momentum, but that trade isn't really happening in a ice cold market where everybody's kind of running for shelter. But what has been working recently, and we mentioned this on the show last week is buying kind of the dip off of the debut and trying to, recognize the opportunities that come after uh, a drop in the IPO uh, in the IPO debut. And we had a couple of really good examples of this from last week that we can jump into. I've shared yeah. my, my screen here. You got, you got that? I was bring this on. So the reason I'm mentioning these plays, uh, not as debut plays, but really as accumulations off the drop is because they really worked well. And we have a couple others coming up. Um, so we had a... You know, there's kind of a lull in the IPO market for mainstream IPOs. We mm-hmm. don't see major companies trying to go live right now. And there's two reasons. One is the market is really cold. And we saw T- TPG Group did all right, but not, you know, not a lot of volatility one way or another off their debut. And then Credo, CRDO, they went live last week, which was kind of the first, I'd say, it was kind of the first IPO that a year ago might have been really hot. And this, you know, last week just showed that, you know, they priced at 10 to 12 and then they actually, you know, priced the IPO, you know, the range was 10 to 12 and then they priced the IPO at 10, uh, barely got any kind of debut premium. They tried testing uh, 1250, 13. It was just sell side and balance the whole time. And Goldman Sachs has a history, or in my opinion, of trying to push, the envelope of the debut trade as high up as they can. They really don't care about giving any space to retail traders to get a profit off of the debut. They're trying to feed those institutional buyers that bought the IPO and they couldn't get 13. They couldn't get, you know, they tried to push it up. They tried to push it up, but it just kept showing a sell side imbalance in the IPO crossing. And when we see that before the first trade goes live, you have to step away from it. You don't want to be buying in when everybody's selling. Um, And this is one of the few times in a market where you can really see that is on the IPO debut. And you can see this in the Webull app. Uh, I'm live streaming these now, uh, if you follow the YouTube channel. Um, and I'm showing you guys like, hey, if this is sell side and balance and they keep trying to incrementally push it up, don't buy in on this debut. Uh, you can wait till after the drop and they debuted it at about 1210. Uh, it dropped down to about 11. If you see that baseline at 11 and then you pick up in- you know, pick up some shares underneath that. You can try to get a reversal. It did go back up to about 1250. That's not really a huge move and just babysit that all day, but it is a 10%. Uh, it gave you a 10% move if you sat there and, and played it. But there were some other ones that were a lot more interesting. Uh, and this is in kind of the low float boat. Uh, low float IPOs, a lot of these just don't care about the market conditions all that much. They're going to go live. Um, with or without a strong market, because a lot of times there's something else um, 
you know, behind the scenes, we've some of these have been like stealth IPOs, which we believe or I believe are some kind of Chinese money laundering setup. Other ones just don't uh, don't really mind that much. And where we used to get a lot of day traders just jumping in right on the debut, we are seeing people kind of pull off that a little bit. So the move for about the last month or two has been what looks like the IPO debuts and it drops. And then for maybe a day or two or even a week, um, these trading groups kind of accumulate the shares down at a baseline. And then one day, all of a sudden, it just pops. And we saw this with Vine. Uh, we saw this with um, a few others. And this week, we saw two of them. One of them is up uh, 40% today after ripping. I mean, we'll, we'll look at this one now. Um, so we had oh, yeah. KSCP. That, 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 that's the one I'm waiting for. So KSCP, this one was advertised all over CNBC. everywhere and Benzinga uh, everywhere. So they really like got a lot of retail buyers to get in. They didn't go after institutional traders and they therefore had no real reason to wait for the market to get better, to take this live. It was a little bit of a surprise because they didn't really even put it on the calendars. It was just sort of during the day, you know, came to my attention. Hey, this is IPOing today. And I was like, wow, I heard of this. I, you know, got offers to buy into it. I uh, wasn't too interested because we haven't seen a lot of, I mean, there have been a handful of IPOs that have been really pushed on, uh, you know, onto retail traders pre-IPO, you know, through these channels that we've seen. And Nightscope wasn't even showing up on TD Ameritrade as, you know, being able to place uh, pre-debut orders, you know, on the day of the IPO. And it wasn't available on Webull. So when I, whenever I see, I mean, I learned my lesson with CDU. If we don't see a ticker kind of showing up on trading desks the day of the IPO, I'm not going to trade it because that just kind of kills demand. And with Nightscope, maybe we would have seen a day one run, but it really just fell off of the open. Um, for an IPO that was priced at 10, uh, it debuted with a lot of strength. It debuted up at 14.44. It made an instantaneous, you know, I mean, too fast to do anything with it. Popped up to like 15 something, but then halted down through three halts. And I take that to be, you know, IPO flippers just saying, Ugh, I'm going to take my money right now while I'm, you know, in the profit. If you sold out on the debut, you got a 44% win right there. Uh, the rest probably started just panic selling. And once it hit kind of this bottom around seven or eight, you just got to take your hands off and go, okay, wait a minute. But when we were live trading this, I saw two levels of uh, buy walls uh, below the IPO or below the, you know, the last trade price. And they just kept kind of like accumulating. And when you see that accumulation, I've seen that on a couple low float IPOs where, you know, the next day or a few days later, it really popped. So I, you know, I didn't play this myself. I was, like I said, dancing around margin calls and loading up on uh, a ticker that I've called out a few times, IINN, which is up 32% today. Um, I was loading up on that down at about 220 now it's over three dollars, um, but I didn't play this out. I can't take any credit, in my opinion, when I don't play it. But I did say this to other people: like, look, this looks like you know, if you want to accumulate down here at six or seven and hold on to it for a little while, I, I'm sure you get a run at some point. I don't know when that run will come. Well, it came first the next morning. It came, it came like like the, the very next day. Yeah, and we have seen that. Uh, I did not obviously. If I expected this, I would have. You know, done something more with it, but I thought it would have taken, and we'll see in the next example, one that took a, a little bit longer. 
Um, but yeah, the next day it very briefly, I mean, this was over about five minutes, just ran up to, um, just under 12 and then fell out and looking back, that wasn't a lot of volume actually. So I believe that someone just basically cleaned out the ceiling and basically whoever had accumulated a big position here was like, all right, well, I'm going to clear everybody out here. And then it baselined and just took off. And, you know, I started thinking, oh, well, if I had bought in there at 10, I'd probably be selling. That's the IPO price. It busted through that, uh, came back down to 10. And then just, I mean, this is unforeseen. I don't understand. I, I mean, I looked at this company, I researched it. It's not all that interesting to me. Maybe, you know, it's basically like, to me, it's Roombas with security cameras on them for parking lots, shopping malls, hospitals. Maybe that's a good business. They just haven't done a whole lot in terms of they don't have a ton of customers it's not super sexy to me, but you know, maybe it's going somewhere and apparently people I mean like it's it. a growth name. It's a growth company. It's in a time where it's not a great environment for growth names, but it it's it is theoretically a growth business. Um yeah. but So know, the key I, here was that there was clearly excitement and demand on the debut. Uh the people that were interested in it, were willing to pay a premium to get who, who didn't get IPO shares were willing to get in. I think there just wasn't demand because it hadn't been registered with all the trading desks. And then once it was, you know, once it was in a dumpster, nobody wanted to jump it right away. But yeah. the opportunity was clearly there for someone to, um, you know, accumulate a big position. It's 4 million share float. So, you know, talking about a very low float to control. And if you had accumulated that and you start, you know, running it or people started getting interested in it, uh, this one, I, you know, I don't know if options will ever become available. Generally, when we have such a low float, we don't get options. But if this becomes shortable, you definitely have to watch out because uh, if everyone who's already bought it has bought in and there aren't a lot of there's a lot of excitement for new buyers to come in. We've seen these low float IPOs get kind of uh viciously reversed once um once shorts find shares to to, um, to dump so definitely wouldn't chase it up here but if you caught it uh i think you know i wouldn't even wanted to chase it once it hit 10 but if this the, the play that i called out and the play that would have been maybe interesting to me if i had a lot more free uh capital to play would have been okay you can start you know start a position on at the end of day bottom here if you get another drop off we'll see a lot of times on day two, people are like, ah, oh, screw this. I'm, you know, I'm over this, you know, you buy that and you sit and wait on it. You know, maybe you get something, you know, go on. Uh, and, and here's another example. And this is, uh, I called this out yesterday. I said, uh, you know, after TKLF I said, watch for FGI tomorrow. I had a little allocation from the IPO just from testing, you know, put in a hundred bucks to see what kind of allocations people get and said the same thing, you know, uh, if you want to play these low float IPOs, watch for this dip. If you want to accumulate a little bit down here, you know, a little bit more down here, the number I kind of start finding the five to $6 IPO attractive is under $3. Um, why why is that? Just from having watched enough of them, if you start at $3, you'll get kind of, and just scale in, uh, I call it the dental zone. It's a dad joke. So, Sorry, but uh, two thirty. Two thirty, got it. Yep, that's the uh, that's kind of the one where um, I start to say, okay, well, from here, 
up is more likely than down and all they have to do is drop any kind of little headline and it'll run this one got nothing this was no headline or anything this was just uh kind of bottomed out right here and i think people saw tklf run i started looking back on the low float ipos you know the recent low float ipos uh, uh sorry tklf also ran when people saw kscp run uh, they started looking for the last couple low float ipos and pumped them and this one Interesting. followed Interesting. suit. So if we look at TKL, even though even though it was a totally different company and a different IPO process, because KSCP did a a reggae offering into their IPO, but wow! So they actually popped the other low float recent IPOs on this. I didn't even see that. Yeah, so I'll bring up. Sorry, my screen going a little. So this one, we this I had called this out as a stealth IPO. It debuted at like. 43 and dropped like a rock um but this one again it was just, it's just a low float ipo people started um i think it around here people said okay well we're the low float ipo okay these other ones are running why not this one um so you know if you got in at three you wrote it up to 450 so right now I and mean, we've seen low float ipos go through this kind of cycle where and um, because they are such low you know low number of shares it's really easy for them to get overinflated. and when these became hot i'd say in the middle of last year we started seeing the debut premiums get kind of jacked up to the point where in november uh december i burned myself pretty hard playing one that was way too hot and it came down and no you know hasn't recovered but um then people cool off and they step off of them and now we start seeing a bunch of them just kind of plummet uh, but there's still the same dynamics where there's not a lot of shares traded. You can't short them because they're brand new. Uh, there's no share, shares available to short. There's no synthetic uh, effects on these because there's no options on them. So they can be pretty purely you know, traded in a way that people accumulate the shares. They pump them. They dump them. And that's uh, you know the play. But if you get in at these bottoms, you know there's a couple setups that we've been looking at. One of them is the lockup expiration. Uh, one of them, you know, getting out before that. Another one is the quiet period expiration, which is 40 days after the IPO. So I've watched a few of these. Uh, the biggest one, again, was IINN for me. I just watched it drop and drop and drop, kept adding and adding and adding. And then when they came out with their first big headline, it ran from like 225 to over $9 in one day. Uh, so that's kind of the longer play of accumulating. Now we're seeing in a cold market, these IPOs drop hard. Uh, but then, you know, people are kind of have, I have a watch list of all the recent low float IPOs. And when they hit their kind of this bottom territory, this one came down to 238. So pretty close to that dental zone. Um, others that once they reach that, especially if they get towards the quiet period expiration, there's not a lot of, you know, the kind of the downside is already bottomed out and all they need is one headline and everybody kind of jumps into them and then they run. So uh, it's an interesting setup when there's nothing else kind of in the mainstream IPO uh, market to play. These low float IPOs, they attract the day traders. The day traders like them because other people aren't. Uh, it doesn't have like a lot of history. There's not a, there's no bag holders outside of you mm. know people who bought the IPO. There's no um, kind of residual uh, history of these. And, and it's just a pure like buy them up, buy up the buy up a bunch of the float, pump it a little bit. Uh, get other people excited if you can get the traction, you know, run it up and sell it. 
So we do have some more low floats like this. I think that's all we're going to see uh, going forward for the until the market really stabilizes and you know investment bankers and the institutional money is ready to commit to the more mainstream plays. We're going to see low float. We're going to see um, regular biotech, which is just a different, you know, I just don't play them. Uh, there's one example of that today or this week. And then we're going to see uh, credit banks. They're, they'll go live in this market. Um, but we're not going to see mainstream IPOs, my guess, until probably March. Um, another point that I read from the guy who runs the Renaissance IPO fund is he was pointing out that major companies are doing all their end of year accounting right now. So they're not, <clears throat> they're not ready to do uh, launch an IPO process, but low float. Yeah. Uh, these are, this is where the game is. And these are the ones you want to be watching out for. This one is tomorrow. This is Maris tech M tech. I kind of like this one. It is still available on Webull click IPO. They do electronic components for video surveillance and analysis. So, you know, video is big, uh, you know, there's supply chain issues across the board. As far as I understand, a lot of chip makers are, their products are in high demand if they can manufacture them. And these guys have pretty good numbers, uh, you know, revenue up 151% for the six months ending June 30th, 2021. Gross profit up 178% for six months ending June 30th, 2021. Their negative baseline for financials are offset by the fact that they're all moving towards positive the underwriter is at GS Capital. They did AERC. They've done a couple others that have done pretty well. So I, I believe they did that. I have to actually go back and check which ones. But they've done. They're not in the. They're not usually operating in the realm of uh, stealth garbage from China. They do. They have put together some legitimate companies. So I'm going to watch the debut price if it's at a premium. And I did put an allocation request into Webull just to see what kind of fill I get. If the fill comes in small, that's a sign that like if you request, I mean, I'm putting in like 100 or $200 just to see if I get 25 shares at $4 or if I get, you know, two shares. If I get two shares, that tells me that there's a lot of people interested in this. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case because it's, I think, still available on Webull. And if I can, you know, I get, I get some kind of indication as to if I get a full allocation, I'm sort of like, all right, well, Everybody got a full allocation. If there's any kind of debut premium, people are just going to dump and lock in their win. That's what we saw with FGI. Uh, so if that happens, then okay, great. I wait, wait, you know, for the dump, accumulate at the baseline. Um, don't go all in on the first baseline, and really, I kind of wait till the end of day one. Uh, try to buy that dip right before you know, that extra kind of capitulation right before the market closes. But if you buy that, I really feel that given what the other low float IPOs have done recently, people are going to start keying in on this trade and, you know, the, the run will be less extreme, uh, but the opportunities will still be there at least for, I think the first one out of the gate, which is this one by the end of the week, maybe the, the trade is played out and, you know, they, people don't let it dip enough to make the, you know, the comeback run worth it. Uh, but this one is tomorrow. I will be pretty busy tomorrow. So I don't know if I can live stream it. But watch this one and, and just this be ready. Is, this is a great example of, of one that I, I wouldn't touch, but but Matt is throwing out a strategy for how to play it. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not long term bullish on KSCP, but I do right, wish right. I had you know <laughs> implemented the strategy that I kind of called out to other people. FGI yeah. didn't you know sell my what I got twenty five shares or something. 
I didn't sell for a loss because I said, all right, well, this is going right. to go at some point. And I picked it, you know, got out of it at six uh, today and, uh, you know, get to keep the warrants for free. Uh, who knows? Don't really care. Not a big, not a big position. Here's another one that's on the calendar this week. It was sort of on the calendar last week, but we didn't cover it. Uh, Direct Digital, DRCT. Uh, they haven't pinned a date on it, so I'm not sure it'll go live. This company does programmatic ad buying and selling. I looked at all their websites. They own about four brands that uh, kind of come across as a really well-organized digital marketing company. Um, the revenue growth numbers are, you know, look really good on paper, up 330%, nine months ending September 30th, gross profit up nine, uh, 693%. Uh, they have positive operating uh, net income and cash flow, which is pretty interesting. And their underwriter is the benchmark company. They just did FGI, which is one of the ones we just looked at. Right. The float is really low, 4 million shares. So again, you know, maybe I'm not trying to play the debut trade on these, but if they do dip down, you know, if they price it at, uh, you know, price it conservatively and it drops, um, this is the kind of play again, we've, said it 10 times on the show probably you know look to accumulate and wait for the pumpers to come in and run it it's just an idea but it's worked out pretty well recently so uh keep an eye on this one uh this one is just a biotech a uh Arcelix, blah 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 something cell therapies cancer and other diseases just don't <laughs> play these you will be you'll be so much better off just ignoring these as ipo trades samsara vision we covered this one uh they've rescheduled at least two times, maybe three times. Um, I don't think it's a super sexy play. Uh, implantable telescopes. It's not as bad as a pure biotech. This one would have to, again, reach that dental level down at 230, you know, maybe in, in a quiet period expiration, they give you some kind of headline that, you know, that pumps it. But I'm not particularly excited about this one. I generally like the low float IPOs that are not biotech um, although, you know, some of them have worked out if they're kind of device related, MYNZ, IINN, all of those did pretty well, uh, if you held on long enough and accumulated after the dip. So no reason to buy this on the debut. If you do want to keep an eye on it, throw it on your watch list, wait for some volume to come in and, and try to play it or build a position down at kind of absurdly low levels. You know, we have seen people just their groups just target these and uh, any headline will, will send these low floaters on, you know, 20, 30, 40, 120% runs. So those are the plays I'm looking for. Hope you guys right. uh, enjoyed the show. Sign up for the newsletter, ipowarriors.com. I give out, I mean, I called last week's, last week's setup on FGI pretty well and uh, gave out the, uh, the night scope play uh, on the live stream. So Follow me. Join me. Thanks for your time, Spencer. Matt, Matt, stay safe, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Take care. All right. Hey, it's 1235. We're going to have the CEO of Argo Blockchain on the show in a, about 10 minutes or so. So Peter Wall uh, is, is, is the CEO of Argo. He'll be on our show at 1245 p.m. Eastern time. If you want to hang out until then, cool. If not... It's all good. It's free country. Do whatever you want. Um, what's up, Shelly? Shelly's awake. Uh, let's do this. You know we haven't done for a while on stream, and I know it's a Monday, so it's like not the kind of day where we 
you know, will kill time. But, you know, I am running solo today. AB is out of town. So, let's, Justin, you guys want to do some Wordle? Let's do a Wordle. We haven't done Wordle on this show in like a week's. So, here we go. If you don't know the rules of the game, you get six guesses to guess the word of the day. Let's start with audio. Oh, not good. Uh, okay, let's try. That's a word, right? All right, no. I guessed audio because it's got four different vowels. I guess star uh, because R, S, T, L, N, E are the most common letters in the alphabet. And now I've guessed every single vowel except for Y. So we have a T and I, but in the wrong location. Okay, okay. I'm going to guess that the I is in the second. Let's go with, like, picky. Let's go with picky. Mm. Oh, I, I forgot I had a T in there. Whoops. Uh, okay, so. Um, still no help. So second letter is an I. Let's go T-I. Hmm. Let's go with T-I. There's no D. Uh, let's go with T-I. G, no. Uh, there's no Y. Let's just, that's not a great guess, but let's just see if that's right. Uh, all right, there is an L. L-I-T, we'll guess that. L-I-T. L-I-G-H-T. That's all I'll guess. Yeah, look at that. Fifth time's a charm. All right. If you didn't play today, sorry, I just ruined the game for you. For the day. Uh, but that was fun. Um, <laughs> Shelly, am I low energy? Is that? It could be. Shelly says I'm low energy. Sorry. I didn't realize I was so low energy. I, I, um... I always get told that I, I have a lot a lot of energy when I don't feel like I do. So I all right, I'll try to I'll try to bring it up a little bit. Boom, energy, it's here. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Um yeah, let's get some energy going. Let's, let's get some get some charts going. <laughs> Drinker Red Bull. Okay. You done? That okay. <laughs> no, 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 no more. No more. No more. Uh okay, Andy Y is asking a relevant question here. And then after this, we're gonna go over to our guest. Uh I did not see the Boeing headline, Andy, the beauty of it, of Benzinga Pro, is I don't have to see every headline because the headline's always there. Let's go to Benzinga Pro right now. Hop on over into a news feed. See what we got. Boeing. What's the good word? Um, they got an order from Qatar Airways. They expect... Uh, negative operating cash flow in future quarters until deliveries begin to return to historical levels may need to obtain additional financing in order to fund our operations. Okay. So who, who was it that asked whether there was a good or bad headline? Who was that? Andy, Andy, why? Uh, it's not great. Okay. It's not great. If you're if you're coming out and saying in an SEC filing that yeah we may need to raise money, let's go to a Boeing chart. 
I don't know when that filing hit. We, the good news is we can actually check to see when that filing hit. Oh, from 1030? The 10K? At 1030? That's a weird time. Right there. <laughs> Let's go to a one-minute chart. Right, right there. That that drop. So, yeah, it's not great, generally speaking, uh, as a rule of thumb. It's not great if your company is saying, yeah, we're going to need to raise some money, whether it's via debt or via equity. Not the kind of headline you want to see. Now, that being said, Boeing is on my watch list. I don't own it. Um, it's been a, it's been a, a, a tough, tough stock to own, uh, frankly, if you have owned it. Um, it's on my watch list for the very simple reason that they've got a duopoly on, on their business. And uh, should they ever get to a point where orders are rebounding back to pre-COVID levels, um, then or at least getting in the ballpark of pre-COVID levels, then there's no reason we couldn't go back to 400. But again, I don't own the stock. It's been a it's been a, br a brutal performer. Um, again, but it's not it's not very few companies can say they have a duopoly, and Boeing is one of them. So uh, that's why it's on my watch list. Um, yeah. So all right, um, let's do this. Um, ba -ba. Okay, I'm all caught up on the chat. Uh, my next guest is is uh, is here. He's he's lurking backstage. And uh, Peter, if you're good to go, you want to give me the thumbs up? I think he's ready. Yeah. All right. Let's let's bring him on a couple minutes early. We got Peter Wall joining us. He is the CEO of Argo Blockchain. Uh, they uh, announced a couple weeks ago that they are diversifying. We're going to talk about this new venture of Argo's. So that being said, let's give Peter the the, the special intro. He gets the special intro on Benzinga Live. Peter Wall, Argo Blockchain. Welcome to the show. Spencer, how are you doing? Nice nice to be here. And look at that. I even get on early. It's supposed to be you I know, know. 1245 well, you know and I, I snuck in. I called an audible. I just said we're going to do it. I like we're it. Do it. I like so, it. all right. Well, let's let's talk about uh, the uh, Argo we're gonna, we're gonna uh, Labs. The, the Chiefs, the Chiefs Bengals game. Are we? Are we not? Oh wait, are that, you? I thought I was coming on to talk about the Chiefs Bengals game. I think are, there's are been you, a misunderstanding. No, I'm joking. Wait, wait, I'm oh, joking. wait. Are you are you from Kansas City or Cincinnati? No, I'm not. Oh. But I'm a football fan. Okay. I mean, hey, we got a we got a regular guest on our show that's from Cincinnati and. Uh, I feel very yeah, happy for must him. Be pretty excited, yeah. I feel very happy for him. Someone, I saw my friend texting me this um, because, you know, we're in, we're in Detroit, right? And Stafford's in the Super Bowl, and Eminem is performing, so it's the right. closest right. that Detroit's ever come to a Super right. Bowl. But right. anyway, what's the feeling um, in Detroit? I mean, are people upset? Maybe we're maybe we're we're we're, we're taking a, a a tangent here, but um, that's people a great question. Upset. You know, so the, so there's about 15 people in the office right now. We had a big debate this morning between yeah. like, how do you feel? And I'm in the camp of like, you should feel happy, right? But not everyone agrees with me. Surprise! I thought that was a pretty innocuous take to have, but um, it's like when Brady here. left. It's like when Brady left New England. You know, or do, if you're, do you cheer for Tampa if you're if you're a Patriots fan, or do you not? Except. Stafford never won anything in Detroit, I guess is the difference. So Yeah. 
I, I mean, full disclosure, I'm not a Detroit. Uh, I'm not born and bred Detroit or Michigan okay. for that okay. matter. I didn't grow up yeah. a Lions fan. But, like, I've adopted them, and I'm rooting for them. I mean, come on. You spent 12 years on the Lions. you yeah. got to feel yeah. feel good for the guy. But, yeah, um, exactly. Anyway. All right, uh, we digress. Yeah, we digress, and, and then we regress. Let's go to uh, Argo Labs. Tell us about that. This is the new non-mining business yeah. that you guys launched a couple weeks ago. Uh, what, is the, what is the goal of Argo Labs? The goal of Argo Labs is really to diversify um, and to make sure that, you know, we're a blockchain company. We've always said we're not just a miner. Obviously, mining is our core business. We've been doing it, you know, for four years. We've been publicly traded for three and a half of those. We know the mining world very well um, and have lots of, you know, developments happening this year and, and onwards into the future around mining. So we're not abandoning mining in any way, shape or form. Uh, but Argo Labs is really for for us. It's it's about being able to participate in other parts of this of the ecosystem. So you know, disruptive innovation, innovative parts of of the ecosystem, uh, to being able to su support decentralization on on you know blockchain protocols, and basically to allow you know our shareholders and to, to increase kind of shareholder value through through network participation, network participation participation. So I have a bit of a cold and strategic diversification. So too much interesting happening in this space, not to jump into it. So like what, what can you be a little more specific as far as what kinds of um, technologies you're trying to back or get involved yeah. with or. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So uh, I can give you kind of a, a couple um, yeah. kind of a couple examples. So um, if you go back to 2019, before we called Argo Labs, Argo Labs, we've always been believers in the space in general. We've always believed that, you know, crypto is more than just Bitcoin. We love Bitcoin, but there's lots of other things happening. So in um, in 2019, we were early investors in Pluto. We bought a bunch of, uh, sorry, Pluto, in Polkadot. We bought a bunch of Polkadot when it was trading at a buck. Um, obviously, since it, since then, it's done, it's done very well. Um, so now we're kind of taking that philosophy to other parts of the space. So we are staking UST, for instance, on Anchor Protocol. Um, we have bought some NFTs. Um, we are, and, and NFTs that are, that we're able to stake and that we're able to like, uh, you know, generate revenue through. We are investing in early stage projects in, you know, composable finance, Picasso, um, crowd loan projects like uh, Affinity, um, we are running Ethereum nodes. We are uh, running Solana validator nodes. So yeah. a, a kind of a wide diversification of, of opportunities in, broadly speaking, the Web 3.0 space um, and kind of leaning into those with a, with a dedicated team that is full-time working on this side of the business. Okay. And, 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 and just to be clear, though, it's not as if you're you're not mining Bitcoin anymore. I mean, <laughs> no, so no. So the idea is we go out, we raise capital, you know, which we've done in 2021, we raise, you know, either debt or equity, we buy machines, or build infrastructure, we mine Bitcoin. Uh, and then we take a portion of that Bitcoin right now, it's about 10%, give it to the Argo Labs team, and they mm -hmm. diversify those digital assets into these other projects, with the goal to create uplift, the kind of uplift that we saw over you know, two years with our, our polka dot uh, investment. So we're looking at that kind of time frame, one, two, three years. 
It's not um, a trading team. You know, they're not like they're not doing swing trades or anything like that. It's kind of a, you know, a, a medium term horizon. Got it. Uh, Peter, what is your message to the Bitcoin community at large right now? Um, you know, the 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 downtrend that Bitcoin's been in is obviously it's not a new phenomenon. This is sort of a, this is a feature, not a bug. Uh, it just it, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, maybe it's because the stocks are going down with it. But it seems like there's a little bit more um, anxiety about this particular downtrend going back to November as opposed to like the one from really I, I don't know if that's maybe, true maybe, Spencer. Right, I mean maybe, maybe we don't maybe you it always feels different. like that right like it never feels good to go down know. you know maybe. um yeah but you know we, look we've been as I said we've been doing this for four years yeah you know I've held Bitcoin for a long time um personally and this is you know this comes with the territory right yeah um it's it's a volatile asset, um, and that volatility is is evening out to some extent. But um, yeah, you know those of us that were that all had our our Twitter you know profiles with the with the red eyes, um, mm. you know we're all expecting it to hit 100k. We're hoping that it would hit 100k. It didn't. It's it's cooled off a little bit, and I and I think it it just comes with the territory. And if you're not used to the volatility and you're not okay with it. Kind of coming down in in you know short and even sometimes slightly medium term, um, you know then then you're in the wrong game. I mean we all believe in this thing long term, and you know the 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 strategy is the same is to build and to hodl. Right. So going going uh, back to Argo specifically, uh, I think you guys mined uh, a little over two hundred Bitcoin um, in this is in in uh, in, uh, in December. In, in December. Yeah. Yep. 240 yeah. Bitcoin in December. So you mine a little over 2000 Bitcoin, uh, you know, for the entire year. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the mining revenue is, is tied to you, the price of Bitcoin. So it's going to it's going to move with the with the direction of that. Um, I, I guess like like going forward, you know, I don't know if you have, have you given guidance as far as what you expect to mine this year or no? Yeah, we haven't given guidance. I mean, but you can get a sense of it from our, you know, hash rate that we've announced, machines that we've ordered and the capacity that we're building. So so the big piece for us for 2022 oh. is the, our facility in, in West Texas. So we, um, we've we been putting regular updates out. We just put one up on Friday on our, on our uh, social media, primarily on Twitter. Um, and we're building a 200 megawatt facility, which is going to open at the start of uh, Q2. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be the world's largest emergent facility uh, that we know of when it's up and running. And um, it's going to be great. So it's in Dickens County in West Texas. It's tapping into a particular part of the grid where there's a lot of renewable power, where there is a, a lack of, of available local load. Um, lots of generation happening in that part of the world, but not a lot of users. So we're going to tap into that power, you know, get low cost um, renewable power, primarily renewable power, and uh, and and then just fill it out from from there. What kind of renewable power are we talking about? So it's primarily wind that's generated in West Texas. There's more and more solar that's coming online. Um, there's been a lot of development of of wind power in West Texas over the last ten years. <laughs> and um, and there's you know there's that power has to travel a long way to users. It has to you know head all the way either to Dallas, yeah. Fort Worth area, or to or to Houston or San Antonio or Austin. 
Um, and, you know, there's lots of power loss on those lines. There's lots of congestion on those lines. So we actually had a call with uh, the head of the ERCOT grid last week, Brad Jones. And, you know, the ERCOT grid is, is the kind of famously or infamously we, now. We, we all know about ERCOT after last year. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's the grid for, for Texas. And, um, you know, Mr. Jones is pretty excited about Bitcoin because it's, it's providing this flexible load to the grid in Texas so that when there's cold weather events or warm weather events or when there's periods of, of high demand, Bitcoin miners can turn their power off um, and give power back to the grid, turn the machines off, give power back to the grid and provide fle flexible load. And we already do that, uh, Spencer, in, in Quebec right now where we're mining. You know, we curtail in the winter. We have an agreement with, you know, the two utilities where we're, where we're drawing power from, from now, uh, right now. Um, the difference in, in Quebec is obviously it's in the winter when it's minus 20, when you're giving power back to the grid. Um, and there's no financial upside. You get a flat rate and the flat rate's the same for the year. They say we can, we can curtail you X amount of hours per year. Um, the difference in Texas is because of the specific way in which the system is built, the market is built is there's this energy market. So when you yeah. turn your power off and give it back to the grid, um, you can do it in a strategic way that there's a financial upside for you. And it also makes the grid more stable, uh, particularly as more and more renewables come on, because the thing about renewables is that they're great, but they're not consistent. It's not consistent generation. So when the sun goes down at night uh, and, and Brad Jones was talking about this on the call, he said, you know, we've got 20,000 megawatts, 20 gigawatts of solar that's coming online in the next two years. But at six o'clock, it gets dark. We lose that power. We need to be able to, and what did he, what did the, what was the term he used? We needed, we need to be able to um, have ramping, to be able to ramp down. Um, so that exact, that's exactly where Bitcoin mining can come in for two hours. You know, we shut down, give that power back to the load. It can be very granular. I mean, you, you can, we in Quebec we shut down within a matter of minutes, and in Texas it, wow. it can even be more granular. Um, so, and just the way in which the system works, you know, the way in which Bitcoin mining works is you can do that. You can actually have that kind of flexibility. And there's very few other large, you know, power users, you know, industrial scale power users that have that kind of flexibility. Um, you know, if you're a steel plant or whatever, and you're generating, you can't, you can't say, oh, we're going to shut down right now. Um, you, you have to plan ahead. Whereas Bitcoin miners literally can shut down for a matter of minutes or a matter of hours and, and, and it, it works out well. Uh, there are a few questions in the chat that, that, that I do want to get to. Rich Kaiser, is Argo looking to come to New York? Like come to New York and set up facilities in New York? I'm imagining that's yeah, what he's asking. Yeah, uh, We're pretty happy in our jurisdictions right now. So we're happy in Texas. Uh, we've got a big runway. So we're building this 200 megawatt facility. We then are building another 600 megawatts. Um, or we have, sorry, I should say, we have the 200 megawatt facility we're building. We have another 600 megawatts, which we've been um, granted through an interconnection agreement uh, out of the, the substation, which is adjacent to our property. So that's a pretty big runway of, of, uh, of power. Um, yeah. and then we've got our two facilities in Quebec. So we're, we're pretty, pretty stoked with what we got. Uh, this is a, a bit of a different question. So Argo, uh, your, your stock is part of the BITQ uh, ETF. Has, has that inclusion, I, has that had any effect on like the business or, 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 or the stock at all? No, I mean, I, you know, all, 
there's lots of ETFs that are being spun up. It seems like yeah. kind of every every month right now. Um, obviously, the the one ETF that is our currently our largest shareholder that is is probably the most well known is the Block ETF, which is yep. kind of all yep. blockchain assets, um, and we you know they own four or five percent of our company. Um, the the other ETFs more seem to be kind of just smaller uh, pieces that 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 come. Okay, got it. Um, and so you know. In terms of the back to the alternative energy, I mean, there's the wind, right? You're in Texas, so that's that's obviously, uh, you know, why you're doing that. But like, whether it's Texas or whether it's uh, some future jurisdiction that you're not looking at right now, but like, would you consider it's everything's on the table, right? As far as alternative energy, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's interesting the relationship between you know, cryptocurrency mining and energy. I, I think we're seeing a couple trends, um, obviously. The, the big one in 2021 was first half of the year with lots of talk about ESG. Fortunately, as a company, we were already mining with hydro in Quebec. Um, you know, Elon came out and said what he said about, about Bitcoin. Yeah. Everyone was talking about ESG. We had already had a climate strategy underway. We launched that, et cetera. Um, so that was, you know, a, a big movement. And then a, a lot of miners that had been thinking about using, you know, uh, carbon sources, carbon powered sources started moving away from those. And so, now you've got like the Bitcoin Mining Council putting out numbers that, you know, most of their members, over 60% of their members are using sustainable energy. The estimation is worldwide, over 50% of miners are now using sustainable power. So it's definitely moving in the right direction. Um, we're trying to accelerate that by, you know, doing things like being climate positive or, or, or carbon negative. Um, joining, you know, the Crypto Climate Accord. Uh, we're launching a, a, a mining pool that is focused on only using um, clean energy sources. Um, so there's there's lots of positive kind of momentum in the space for, for moving you know, towards using renewable power and clean energy sources. Um, but I, it's just going to take time. I mean, this infrastructure that gets set up, you know, it, it's, um, it, it takes time to, to build and it takes time to set up in new jurisdictions. What, aside from the expansion into uh, Texas, like what, what is the next clear catalyst for Argo specifically, or, m or maybe it's just miners at large? Yeah. Uh, so I can speak about miners at large. I mean, we Argo as a company, we've got a few tricks to press leave for, for 2022, but we can't, uh, you know, obviously we're publicly traded. We can't, uh, and we haven't announced them yet. Um, in terms of, you know, miners at large, I think that, We'll see what happens this year. Obviously, it depends on, on the market. Um, you know, I think there's been talk about, you know, consolidation, about, you know, mm. companies starting to, there's lots of publicly traded miners right now. What does that mean? You know, we were one of the one of the first back in, in 2018. Um, and now it seems like every month or two, there's a, there's a new one that's popping up, you know, on NASDAQ or, or another exchange. So um, we'll, see, we'll see what that means kind of for the publicly traded market space. Um, I think North America continues to be the premier destination for miners. Uh, obviously, we saw the recent troubles in, in Kazakhstan, the, the crypto mining ban last year in, um, in, in China means, you know, there's no mining happening there. So I, I just I, I think just more scale in North America uh, and, and more renewables. Awesome. All right. Peter Wall, CEO of Argo Blockchain uh, and big NFL fan. Peter, uh, <laughs> always a pleasure to chat. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for coming on. Benzing a lot. Thanks, Spencer. All right, take care. All right.
while we were talking with Peter, I saw it as well. Uh, chat, Sony is halted news pending. Time to speculate. What could the news be? Recall that I wanted to buy Sony a few weeks ago and I never did. Ouch. I think probably Sony's buying someone. Sony is not being acquired. What's Sony worth? 100 No one's buying Sony. I mean, maybe they are. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't rule anything out here. But uh, Sony's a big company. Mark cap of 131 billion dollars. I think it's more likely that they're buying someone. They're probably buying some publishers, right? I'm thinking about it. Microsoft went and bought the largest publisher, right? Activision. How's EA doing right now? EA spiked. Oh, and they gave it all back. But EA did spike on that headline. Um, gosh, what, what else do we have? Uh, Zynga's in play. Uh, did Take-Two spike? Take Whoa, look at Take-Two. Whoa, we got up to 169 just there. Um, Almost 170. And now we're back down to 162. So we got some movement here. I guess we should check Activision, right? And we have Jake with Jassic on. We'll bring Jake on in a second. So the publishers are all spiking here. Is that the speculation that Sony is, is going to just buy someone? Maybe come out with a rival bid for Activision? Microsoft's too big to trade off this, right? Yeah. So anyway, Sony, and, and I, I saw the halt in Benzinga Pro. We have a, a, a tool that tracks... Uh, uh, Sony's headline is out. The new, our new, my news desk guy just yelled at me. Um, they're acquiring Bungie. Wow. All right. Going after the developers. Thank you, Randy. He just shouted to me. So Sony's buying Bungie. I, I mean, hey, you had to like think that <laughs> they're not stupid. Bungie's not publicly traded. Hold on, why is my chart being weird? There we go. Bungie's not public, um, but Sony's not dumb, right? They saw the wave of buying. Take-Two bought Zynga. Microsoft bought Activision. They need to get some titles under their belt. So Tony's buying Bungie. All right. Big deal. Gaming space is hot right now. Is there any space hotter than video games? In terms of just deal-making. It's on fire. Wow. So I don't think we have a, a, a resumption time on Sony. Um, yeah, Tone, <laughs> Tomo, that would have been funny. But, oh, man, Tomo, if that happened, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a resumption time on the Sony Hall yet. Um when when I see it, I'll let you know. I can't imagine it stays halted for too much longer. Are there any other smaller publishers out there, uh, Randy? Like P, what's um, what's PL is PLTK? Is that one Platika? Not really moving off that. That's a smaller one. I don't know. Well, let's get let's get Jake's thoughts on this. Jake Wojastic is the co-founder of Trend Spider. He's got all the best charts and indicators and uh, 
joins us every single Monday. So, Jake, what's up, man? How was your weekend? Hey, what's up? Everything was good. But, uh, it's nice to see, see some, some green markets. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, weekend great. Hope you had a good had a good one, too. Yeah, yeah, pretty okay weekend. I mean, I had to take my phone to the Apple store. You, you know what? You know what's interesting, Jake? Uh, I so I, I had to get my 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 screen fixed because I I had a a, a, a um a str- like a it wasn't a crack but like there was a vertical line on my screen that was not reading my finger at all, um, mm-hmm. and so I was without my phone for two and a half hours, and there's a big there's difference. A- be- between being without your phone by choice or not by choice. You know what I mean? Like I, I got home and I couldn't even check my email cause I have two factor authentication on and I didn't have my phone. So I couldn't even I check my email. It. You <laughs> I felt, na- I felt naked. I, I, I've had, I've definitely had the experiences where it's like, you know, you're grab, grabbing your open for your pocket, pocket, and you, you don't have your phone, but you're still doing it out of out of just a kind of yeah, just out of uh, you know routine. So yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty attached to my phone, especially looking at the market. So I I feel yeah. All right, uh, so let's do let's bring up your charts here, um, and I, I, we we'll just start overall market here, but then we'll get to some individual names. If you have any tickets for Jake, drop them in the chat. But this is the this is the spy here. So we are coming yeah. off of coming out of the worst month for the spy since March 2020. Uh, give us your take on where the spy is at right now. Yeah. So you know, the S&P 500 pretty much did nothing last last week until the end. Actually, Jake, I, you know, I, I want to interrupt you. Can you can you try leaving and come back? Because there's like a weird echo here. I think it is just a glitch in the yeah. matrix. Try to just leave and come back. And then, um, yeah, I also hear that too. I thought it might get better, but it has not gotten better. So hopefully he can just, but yeah. Okay. So great point about Bungie. Microsoft used to own them. Bungie made Halo. Do you guys see the, the, the Halo trailer over the weekend for the show? Um, I'm admittedly not a, a big Halo fan, um, but it looked pretty cool. So um, yeah. What does this mean for Halo? I don't know. You know what it probably is? It's probably just insurance, right? This is just Sony getting some insurance on their end in case Microsoft decides to like be a bunch of dicks and take all the Activision titles off of uh, off of Sony. Sony's got some, you know, leverage on their end by owning Bungie. So, um, yeah, hopefully. We'll see. Hey, look at that new camera angle. What's up, everyone? Now I'm over here. All right, we got Jake back. All right. Hopefully that works better, Jake. Um, it sounds it's... better already. Yeah, I think something's wrong with my mic. I had trouble earlier and I completely forgot. I thought it was Google, but I guess it's my mic. So can you hear me okay now? I do. And thank you, everyone in the chat, for for correcting me that Bungie does not make Halo anymore. Thanks for that. I'm not, I'm not uh, up on the daily uh comings and goings of of gaming as much as i used to but anyway uh let's go to this the the spy chart again uh jake and and give us your take yep so uh you know really last week you just had a lot of kind of back and forth action for literally the whole week and then friday you had a pretty big short squeeze um into uh into another strong day today so uh i wouldn't 
you know, say we're fully out of the woods yet, you know, but uh, I'm also, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be getting too confident, you know, on the short side either. So uh, the main thing that I'm watching is really 450. So 450 is just a psychological level. It's also a previous resistance area, excuse me, previous support, which would be potential resistance above. Uh, so yeah, right around 450 on the dot is kind of what I'm thinking. It's also the all-time high volume weighted average price right at 450 as well. So, so that would be the first area I'm watching. Um, and, uh, and you know, I'm, sentiment has been a big thing over the last week or so for me, just looking and seeing, you know, how really bearish people were, especially even on Friday and, and today people still saying, yeah, you know, the market's going to keep going down. The market has gone down. Uh, this has been like a huge move to the downside in such a short amount of time. I mean, the S&P 500 uh, entered correction territory last week. Uh, so this is, you know, this is uh, generally where you get some pretty big moves to the upside. Um, however, you, a lot of people have been stumped and, and kind of uh, tricked over the last couple of weeks. So I think a lot of people are kind of uh, weary on on actually going long here. And I think that's just probably going to fuel uh, fuel things. Now, uh, this is where you definitely want to go into multiple time frames. So right now we broke out of the the uh, symmetrical triangle here potentially going to get up to 450 and then we'll uh we'll kind of reconsider things from there but if you look at the weekly chart um you know this is this is a pretty solid candle last week that formed and then you can see here you know if we really continued higher we could even retest this previous support that broke down in early january and that would be up uh in the 470s so uh, you know, definitely have to take this market day by day. But if you're looking at the longer term side of things, at least on the weekly, uh, you do have some some reasons why you may be uh, continued bullish into uh, February. This reminds me so much of of 2015 into 2016. Um, oh, I said that earlier. Well, actually, I didn't say that. I, I said that RBC said or Raymond James said that. But someone else said that. And I was relaying what they said. But you're doesn't it, though? Yeah, and it's you know it's almost the exact same time where things started to turn around. So in 2015, you had the oil companies getting destroyed instead of growth. Growth was kind of your oil companies this time around, uh, and we we saw oil companies getting just absolutely destroyed in August or earlier of 2015, and uh, and then the markets finally started to roll over as well going into 2016. And we finally bottomed out in early uh, February, late January of 2016. And same thing, even the macro side of things, the Fed talking about raising rates like four times uh, in 2016. Same thing here. So I think the market has priced in a lot of negative news, I guess, if you want to call it that, uh, for equities. And so um, if the market, if the economy does remain strong, I, I think you've got most of this already priced in. And uh, I get a lot of research reports from um, from friends, my family uh, that that are in the markets uh, on the professional side of things, and you know I don't see any of these institutions really being bearish here. And so uh, maybe that's a bad thing if everybody's on the same side, but I just think that this is probably a little overdone, and you're probably going to get a big move. Now, if you do go to the monthly, today's a pretty important day. All the monthly charts are closed, closing today. Uh, this is what is a little concerning. I mean, or, you know, you can call it concerning or you can call it a big, uh, you know, a big washout before the, the reset in the market. So the month of January took out literally six monthly candles. So it took out 
six months of price action in one candle. So definitely not what I would call a strong uh, monthly candle here. So if you're using kind of uh, time frame continuity where you want to see a bunch of different time frames aligned, the monthly is definitely not aligned with your daily or weekly right now. That's for sure. So this is the only thing that I'm a little concerned about, this huge monthly candle. Um, but you can also see when we've had some really ugly monthly candles in the past, we just uh, consolidated and just continued to go up. Um, That's it. <laughs> so we'll just have to see. I just they've see a just, lot they, of they, they've been pauses. They've been pauses. Yeah, I just see a lot of people extremely bearish, which you know that's that's awesome. Everyone everyone takes their own positions, but when people are that, you know, I had people last week on Friday telling me, "No, the market's going to gap down and crash on Monday." It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't how get do you, that. I mean, maybe, but to be that convinced, it tells me that you're very emotional about your position. I think a lot of people got emotional because they made a lot of money on the put side and then they they're just like well this has been working for two weeks i'm just going to keep shorting the the rips and eventually it's it's not gonna work to uh work in their favor so um i'm pretty neutral right now i do have a position in disney i have a position in uh airlines i think airlines look really good right now mainly because they actually held a higher low in january than they did in december which is pretty rare uh, in this market for january so, you know, for me, I'm definitely keeping an eye on like Delta. If you look at Jets, Jets definitely looks decent. Trendspider just got unusual options activity, something that I really haven't used a ton. Uh, but I did find it interesting. You had a pretty big order come in on the April uh, monthlies for $47 uh, strike. So, you know, someone put in about, I think, over 300000 in that that particular strike. Um, and generally, like if you're looking at the indices, I don't even really cons I don't even consider thinking about you know these being a directional thing unless they're over a millions but for delta a three hundred thousand dollar order on the uh the options chain is a pretty big order but like on spy yeah, i wouldn't even think of that being relevant at all it would have to be like a five million and maybe not even that like that's the problem i think a little bit with options is you really don't know what's going on on the other side is that a hedge is it not but i did i did find it interesting you did have i think it was like 200% of the open interest came in on that strike. So something to consider. I mean, if you look at Delta, it looks pretty good on the monthly. You've got kind of this flag forming here. You've got a lot of things kind of aligning. You've got the uh, the Omicron definitely starting to pull back, I think. So I think you are going to see airlines do pretty well into the coming month. Uh, and they can move very quickly. That's the thing. You know, they're not massive market caps. So when they move, you can get a 10% plus move in a day in some of these these names. So I decided to take Delta just because I've traded Delta more than the other airlines. I'm more familiar with how it moves. So I took this one, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, and and do we have like a time horizon on this trade or? or, or uh, I, I, mean, I see. So I would, uh, I got into the March 18th, uh, $42 calls because they had pretty good open interest and the, the okay. 42 is almost right at this, the monthly high for this month. Uh, and so that's that's what I really like about this chart. You actually had a really strong candle in December and you had a higher low in January. So I generally want to see a, a monthly candle looking good. I was going to take a trade in MU today uh, early on, but that monthly candle is absolutely brutal. And if I'm swing trading or position trading, uh, I don't want to be entering into a, a, a multi possibly weak trade with this type of monthly candle setup. So um 
I personally like to see some things aligned before I, I get too uh, too much conviction. Can you can you can you explain the significance of the monthly candles? And obviously they you know they represent a month of price action, but I, I, every every month I you know they could like for example today at three forty five my half my Twitter feed is going to be people like you that are be like oh I can't wait for my monthly candles and just like can you just explain well, like think- why why yeah why they're so important. Well, I think it depends on your time frame. If you're trading the sure. third, you know, the thirty-minute or the five-minute chart, the monthly candle means nothing. But if you are okay. looking at maybe a one to two-week horizon, that would be half, you know, half going into February. Where uh, if you don't have a really strong monthly candle, you know, all of these patterns are fractal. Like this is not. I look at the market as kind of like a blackjack table with different setups having different odds. This is not an. This is not a setup that I would uh, be comfortable taking if I wanted to do a swing position here. Um, so I generally want to see at least like a higher low. I mean, the, the airlines actually had some decent relative strength this month. Um, and I think the market and the nice thing about the airlines too, at least Delta, they've already had earnings. So the earnings has already kind of had its, uh, move and you don't have news coming in and messing that up. So, um, I just think that I was watching the news the other day. They said, uh, hospitalizations were going down in Denver at least. And so it seems like we're kind of over that peak. Um, and I just think if the media catches on to that at all and starts mentioning, you know, maybe travel's coming back with, with us peaking, I, I think that's probably going to help airlines. But, you know, MU was also one I just loved. I mean, if you look at the daily chart, you've got this nice support area. You're bouncing right off of it after uh, uh, kind of flushing below it and closing above it on Friday. But... But if I'm going to swing trade something for a week, but the thing is, right, if Delta went up 10% tomorrow, I'm out. Like, especially in options, you want to sell those impulse moves because the implied volatility just spikes. Um, So so that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. And I think uh, let's see when are earnings for. So, yeah, earnings earnings aren't for a while in MU either. So you don't have that variable in the equation either. But I just felt like airlines have kind of been on the back burner and people probably are watching them again uh here's jets uh that's yeah, the it, for this they have they, they never they never made it back they never yep. made it back yeah they still haven't made it back i mean you're you've just got this really kind of tight consolidation going on um right here and yeah this thing keeps hitting uh daily highs and uh like i said when when airlines really move they move and um and I just think we're kind of getting close to that point for for airlines. And, you know, if you look here, we were we were way up here on jets around 23 in mid-January. And now we're at 21. So, you know, you still have a lot of room just to retest these highs from two weeks ago. Um, and so that's why I've got an eye on it. And two, you know, the options are pretty liquid. Some of these some of these chains you go on, especially like earlier this month, they were dead. You had no liquidity on the options chain, which was a little bit of a sign that there may just not be a lot of liquidity in the market. And that's probably a reason why we, we got hit so hard as well. Um, you probably had some forced selling from from uh, margin calls and that type of thing. And if you don't have that liquidity to absorb that, that selling pressure, you're going to get hit that much harder. And I think that's part of what happened over the last few weeks. But yeah, airlines... Disney, you know, I think reopening plays are going to come in. Uh, Disney's another one I got in on Friday. Uh, and uh, simply just due to the fact that uh, we've got this huge gap above. And, you know, I think uh, I just think Disney and they have earnings coming up in next week. So I wouldn't hold through earnings, but I would 
you know, play that anticipation into earnings and that that higher implied implied volatility that happens when you do get into earnings. So it's kind of your crisscross here. Your previous support um, would act as potential resistance above around 147.50. Uh, and so that would be, an, and that's right in line with this gap above. So we'll see if it fills. Generally, prices can move pretty quickly through these gap areas because you just don't have a lot of liquidity up here. Uh, and so we'll see if we get a continuation tomorrow and we'll go from there. But this this was a pretty good trade from Friday and I'm, I'm still holding on. I think it's got more room to go. More room to go to the upside. To I the upside. I, I, I'm, yeah. long, I'm long and strong in Disney, but I've, I'm very... I'm not as panicky about the overall market, but I am a little bit panicky about Disney right now because uh, it it it, uh, it went up for streaming and now that streaming growth is slowing. So um, anyway, uh, let's do some tickers from the chat. If you have anything uh, on your mind you want Jake to take a look at, drop it in the chat. Let's look at Royal Dutch Shell RDS dot B or slash B or dot A slash B A whatever the Two share classes, same, same same company. Yeah, this is this is another actually uh, part of the thesis on airlines, right? Like if oil does take a step back, um, I think that's also going to help airlines too. You, you lower the cost of of, of operations uh, with with lower prices. So um, yeah, this one this one's kind of got a pretty good uh, setup here. Let's go to the daily. The weekly hasn't really done much. Um, so, so yeah, on the weekly, you know, you've got the thing that I never like to see is these gaps below. doesn't mean that they'll fill, but you just have some gappy price action here. Um, so there has been a lot of, there was a lot of rotation into oil names during January. And I'm just thinking if, if money starts to rotate back into tech and some of these names that have been beaten down, that money is likely going to come out of the leaders that have been leading for the last month. So all in all, I mean, if you look at the monthly chart, everything looks good, um, but it's already had such a big move. Uh, and so that's that's what's a little worrisome to me. If you pull up just a basic uh, kind of diagonal resistance line here, you're right at this resistance area as well. And you, this is on a lot of the oil names. ExxonMobil looks very similar. They all move in tandem. Uh, so you are nearing this kind of resistance zone that has been resistance in the past. Uh, and so going right up into resistance, I personally wouldn't really want to, um, you know, get into a long position at that point, especially after we've already moved from 44 all the way up to 51 in one month. Uh, so a lot of people like to buy strength and like to buy the leaders, but a lot of the time the leaders do stop leading. You saw this in the semiconductors. Uh, everybody was AMD, NVIDIA, you know, for life. And then all of a sudden they absolutely got wrecked. Like, over 30%. So uh, there's there's rotation in the markets and leaders don't lead forever. And so you just don't want to find yourself buying too many dips and then getting destroyed like a right. road. Um, or something. Yeah, real sorry to interrupt you, but Sony just came out of that halt. It wouldn't shock me for a second to see Sony uh, get below. It opened way above where it was prior to the halt, but it wouldn't shock me for a second to see it below 111 or 110 here. Typically, you they hit stocks when they do acquiring. So uh, Sony out of the hall now after about 20 minutes of being halted or half hour being halted. I mean, if you look at the 65 minute chart on Dutch or Royal Dutch sell, it actually looks pretty good. Um, so you've got a lot of volume supporting price here. 
especially considering we've been trading in this range for uh, the last few trading days. So, you know, on the shorter term time frame, it actually looks pretty good. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if oil continues up. If you've got a big push that the world is opening back up after this Omicron and blah, blah, blah. You know, Denver's considering removing their mask mandate this week. So oh, wow. you've got a lot of a lot of things maybe uh, playing into oil, continuing up uh, demand for oil, uh, you know, continuing to go higher. And uh, and yeah, I mean, the short term, the 65 minute chart does look pretty good here, I have to say. OK, there we go. World.shell. Uh, let's go back to the chat. And someone someone asked about the Russell. Sorry, who was that? That was um, who asked about the Russell. I don't remember who, but somebody asked about the Russell. Yeah, I mean this this looks pretty pretty uh, strong right now. Um, oh, there we go. You've got a uh, you've got very similar to what we talked about on uh, the spy. You've got this previous support zone that is going to act as potential resistance right around let's say two hundred six, two hundred seven. Um, and same thing, you've just got a lot of people that are like con convinced all these gaps below are just going to fill like immediately, and I just you. You have to, if, if this is truly a bearish move, you have to have these massive moves to the upside to suck in all of that liquidity so these uh, short sellers can get back in their short positions. You know, if if everybody is shorting, then you don't have a ton of liquidity. But if everybody is buying, then you have these people that you can you can sell into um, on the short side. So, you know, if this is truly like a, just a, a little bounce before the next leg down. I would anticipate at least a pretty strong move up to around 206, 207, um, possibly even kind of a V bottom action here. We'll see if this does start to break down through Friday's low around 188. You do have a gap below around 178. Um, but this, you know, we'll just have to see this. This last six or seven trading day price action is very range bound from 203 all the way to 188, which is a huge range. So I'm thinking if we do break through that high of around 203 or this low, you're going to get a pretty strong move. Um, and it's just if then, you know, if we break down below last week's low, then we're probably going to move pretty quick down to the gap below. But if we if we break this high, you know, I'm thinking at least 206, 207, you know, you may even get to 210, which is your psychological level. Okay, uh, we'll do a couple more here and then we'll let Jake hop. Um... I don't know some of these. Okay, we can look at Microsoft or KT. I know that one. This actually had some relative weakness today. Um, it maybe got a little bit of ahead of itself. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, the daily, you know, daily looks okay. If you, if you just draw a basic resistance kind of zone here, we did have a breakout over the last couple of days. So you had multiple times where we tested this zone and finally broke out on Friday. And now, you know, who knows, maybe just a little retest of this resistance and a continuation up. Uh, but definitely interesting to see this one uh, not doing as great with, uh, with the market strength. So the weekly chart from last week is very strong, huge bullish engulfing candle. Uh, so I, you know, I'd be shocked if this isn't at least a short term bottom, but at the same time, you know, you just have to kind of take this market for what it is and, and see if we do get some some buyers going into uh, February. So with this being the last day of the week or excuse me, the month. Pull up the monthly candle doesn't look incredibly strong, uh, but, you know, you've had a few of those uh, candles that didn't look incredibly strong and we just kept moving up. 
Uh, the question is, how long does this just straight linear move up continue? Uh, and I think that's uh, that's something to consider for sure. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe we get a couple week uh, bear market rally, um, especially in some of these growth names that have just been destroyed. And we have to go from there. All right. Last one here. Let's look at Celsius, C-E-L-H, the Lucha Kobe favorite, the beverage company. Yes, sir. Cut in half in the last few months. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, so the gap, uh, sorry, not the gap, this previous, and, and the crazy thing is the market really just respected horizontal levels over the last couple of weeks, and it always does, but especially the last couple of weeks, these horizontal levels have really been your key areas for potential support and resistance areas. Um, so we did bounce right at this previous uh, area from March 2021, and so far so good, but uh, still not incredibly convinced on this one quite yet. Uh, you would really, I, like a healthy move would be something like this, where you, you get a move up, kind of chop around and then continue up. Uh, that would be kind of your ideal move. I, you don't want to necessarily see this go straight up uh, because then it can go pretty quickly back down, straight down. So all in all, daily looks okay. Weekly, it's Monday, so we can't really look too much at the weekly, but last week's weekly candle looks pretty solid for at least a potential short-term bottom. Um, and then let's see, where is the COVID low? So the, the COVID low would be an area of resistance. Uh, the COVID low VWAP would be an area of resistance above, which is right around 49, let's just call it 50 bucks, which is the psychological level as well. So for now, the chart still seems broken because you are below this COVID low VWAP. Uh, if it can get above that, that's where I think things could get a little more uh, exciting and maybe a retest of this previous uh, support zone before we continue down. Uh, which is kind of essentially a bear flag from December. And that would be around 60 to 63. All right. Jake Wujastic is the uh, co-founder of TrendSpider. I would encourage everyone to check out the platform. There's a link in the description of this video to the website. You can also get a discount code of uh, 25% off using the code on the screen, BZ25. Uh, Jake, it is always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again next month. Sounds good. Have a good one. All righty. Um, let's move on to our last guest of the day. Uh, we're going to, we're going to go from a uh, pure technical charge to, um, options. Let's bring on Chris Capri. He runs the Benzinga options trading school, which I'm going to throw a link up in for in a second. And, um, Yeah. Let's just bring him on. Chris, what's up, man? What's happening? How are we doing? Good. I'm riding solo today. I got no Aaron with me, so it's just me and you. I noticed your Tonto is missing. I know. Well, <laughs> I was going to do that, like show like the empty seat, and I just figured it was like, too sad. So you, know. you need like an anime or something like that. Like, well, we have cardboard year. cutouts of like Seinfeld characters. I just forgot to put it to bring them up. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. If we can get like an anime in there, that would be that would be pretty cool as well yeah um all right how was your weekend man uh how was the day treating you so far it's good good yeah you uh ready to talk some options i'm ready what do, what do we got on your radar okay let me share a screen yeah Show you by the way as on. i said I, I will put a link up let me do it right now i'm gonna put a link to the benzinga options trading school it is in the description but yes. for those of you that are you know extra lazy and just want to click directly from the chat. 
There you there go. You go. Okay, you should see my screen. I think you just need to answer the stream and we're good. Sweet. Okay, so when you talk options, especially when you talk short-term options, you have to be looking at VIX and SPIs. So we're going to look at VIX and SPIs and we'll take a look at Apple. So VIX, when SPY was falling, and I can put a uh, nice compare in here to that so we can see SPIs side by side. So you can see when VIX was spiking, SPIs was falling, SPIs is crashing, you know, especially when VIX really started to rip up, SPIs is crashing. Now, VIX generally above 30 statistically over the last, you know, 10 years generally portends that the forward returns, the forward 20 day, 30 day returns on SPIs is positive. Why? Why is that? Why does generally a high VIX 30 or plus generally portend that over the next 20 days, SPIs will have a decent positive return? Well, when VIX goes up, this is not only a measure of fear, but it's also a measure of implied volatility in options. It means yeah. that when we have high VIX, we have high implied volatility. But it also means that traders are buying put protection. So they're buying long puts. Now, as VIX continues to rise, so does the cost of the options and implied volatility. And eventually it's going to get too rich to a point where unless you have new catalysts coming in saying, hey... You know, there's like a situation in Ukraine or we're going to raise rates earlier or we're going to raise rates more times this year without any new catalyst to keep pushing VIX higher and higher. VIX is going to come down. And when that happens, implied volatility on those options is going to come down. And those puts that are people are long puts, those puts are going to start losing value. So short dated puts, which a lot of this protection happened when VIX was climbing and SPIs was falling, traders are buying puts. So we put a plus P for buying puts. And as it goes lower, they buy puts. And as it goes lower, they buy puts. But if VIX starts to stall out, these puts are going to start to decay fast. They're going to decay in terms of time, and they're going to decay in terms of volatility. Wait, and, and, and real fast, while the VIX is rising and people are rushing rushing to, to, to the store to, to buy their puts, the prices of those puts are rising. Yes. As implied volatility goes up, the same at-the-money options are going to become more and more expensive. So the price doesn't even have to go anywhere. If implied volatility goes up, the cost of those options go up because yeah. the pricing of options, one of the major variables is implied volatility or the capacity for a stock or ETF or whatever to move up or down. Right. The more volatile something is, the more possibilities that it can manifest in terms of prices. And so that means that the options have to be more expensive because people who sell those options need a higher premium to account for the increased risk in terms of volatility. So as spies, you know, is going down, you're going to see people buy puts, buy puts, buy puts. But as these puts keep getting more and more bought, the cost of them goes up and eventually they just get really rich. And so without these new catalysts to send VIX higher, eventually what happens is, is that people start saying like, if they bought puts here, and all of a sudden SPIES is coming back and VIX is coming down, they're certain they're going, eh, it's not worth it to keep these because they're losing money every single day and they're losing money on volatility. So they start exiting these puts. And that actually has, that creates a tailwind for the market. It creates a tailwind for two major reasons. One, if traders are long puts, dealers are short puts. If dealers are short puts, and the market goes down, the dealers have directional exposure to the downside. So to hedge that risk, 
they will short shares or short futures. So the dealers actually contribute to the downside move. Now, when those puts start to lose value, then the traders who are long puts start to release some of those puts, which means that the dealers start to release their short share hedges, which gives a lift in prices in stocks. As I told our members in the Benzinga Option School today, I said, look, VIX losing, let me get rid of the spies here. VIX losing this, 27.30, means that we should start seeing a huge unwind in those long puts. And that creates what is called a Vanna rally. It's implied volatility coming down. As VIX comes down, the implied volatility comes down. Dealers hedging requirements change. They start to unwind some of their short share hedges. And that creates a rally in the markets, short term. So short term, because VIX is selling off, and you can see how aggressive this is by the fact that you know, here we are, here's the morning, like this is the session right here. And you can see it's just staying below the nine the whole time. Only until the last 10 minutes have we gotten above the nine EMA. This is a five minute chart. To stay below the nine EMA, there has to be consistent selling in VIX and implied volatility has to be coming down. This is dealers unwinding their short share hedges. So if VIX closes below say 27.30 on a daily and closing basis, then that should be that should create more of an unwind of these long puts and spy should continue to see a tailwind. How long? Short term. Like IV coming down, VIX coming down rallies only last so long because eventually VIX is going to come down to a normal level 2220 where that unwind is no longer happening. So short term, I'm bullish on spies. Today, maybe tomorrow, maybe Wednesday. Just depends on how much VIX comes down. As long as VIX keeps coming down, you're going to see SPIES continue to go up on a short-term basis. I think SPIES has room to run to 451 this week. It's going to have a little bit of work to do to get past 451. But the bottom line is if it can, then that will really shift the architecture of the option flows and the dealer flows to where they will actually start being supportive of options. Meaning that as the price goes down, they'll actually buy the dip. And so that will actually be supportive to buy dips on round, or on, on pullbacks. So we're not there yet. What we are seeing today is really just an unwind of the kind of VIX being really elevated. And you can see, you notice how share volume isn't that high? That's because this rally isn't due to people buying shares and spies or buying the ETF underlying. So real money okay. buyers aren't buying this. If it was, we'd see volume stable or go up. We'd see more and more bars going up. We're not seeing that. So the institutions are not buying this rally. This rally is an unwind of VIX. That's the difference. So for right now, I like buying spies on pullbacks, 442, 441, 443 area to get long for the rest of the week, maybe till Wednesday. If we're lucky, we get maybe until Thursday. But IV coming down, VIX coming down rallies only tend to last a couple of days. So because of that, I'm going to look go. to trade the long side on spies on pullbacks, try and get up to about a 450, 451 print. And so that's what I'm looking at on VIX and spies. Very, that's an entire, I think all the thing, the only thing you, you didn't say there that, that you could have was like, hey, this is, this could be why the market is up today. I mean, that, that, that <laughs> you could, you, you could bring it all down to that. Yeah, easily. Yeah. You know, because yeah. again, if, if the share volume was strong and we can see right now, you know, share volume is less than half of the 10 day average. And we only got two and a half hours left, which yeah. means that, 
you know, we're not even gonna, we're not even going to come close to the 10 day average. When you when you hit the 10 day average or more, that means there was solid share volume buying interest on the day. This is way lower. I'll be surprised if we hit 100 million, you know, or 105 or 110 million, which means we're way under the share average volume in terms of buying. People aren't buying spies in terms of the underlying. Spies is getting a lift because of the short share requirements from dealer hedges is unwinding. That's what's happening on the day. So that's at least my analysis from an option perspective. So I'm happy to keep trading that as long as VIX stays below 27. If VIX gets back above 27 on a new catalyst, tensions out of Ukraine, whatever it is, yeah. Omicron cases yep. spiking, then I'll, you know, short term shift my bias away from being bullish. But short term, I'm bullish right now. Medium term okay. or long term, I am not there yet. We are not out of the woods yet. I want to see a weekly close above 451 because if we do that, then we are in a architecture where the gamma in the underlying market is positive. And so that creates a situation where the market is much more supported. If it pulls back, dealers start coming in and buying dips. We're not there yet. So the only thing that I can say that I'm really bullish on long-term is Apple. I feel like Apple is now out of the woods. It had its earnings day after the market. Next day, really lot, um, lots of share buying. Today, a little bit less, but it's still holding its gains. So I think Apple kind of runs out of a little bit of this fuel maybe today or tomorrow, gets a little bit of a pullback. And I'll buy Apple between, say, 160 and 170 and look to hold that pretty much for the rest of the year. Now, because I'm not long-term bullish on the markets yet, I don't feel like they've recovered enough for me to say long-term bullish, that the trend is you know, going to continue back up or anything like that. I will, in getting long shares on Apple, I will do a couple things to neutralize the risk. One, I'll sell calls further up. That's what minus okay. C means, sell calls. So I'll sell calls further up, probably around 180, 185. You know, I'll try and do this every single week to collect premium. But then I'm also going to buy at the money puts. And that's what plus P means. I'm buying a put. Just because between now and, say, February 18th, maybe through March, I do want some downside protection. So I'll get long shares. I'll sell calls further up. I'll use some of that premium to buy these puts. Then if Apple does, you know, in the near term full back or whatever it is, fine. My puts will neutralize the downside risk on that. And I'll still walk away with a little premium from selling calls. If it goes up, I lose some of the profit from the shares going up because of the long puts, but I'll still make money on that and selling the calls. I'll make some premium. So either way, I got a pretty well hedged position on Apple. So I'm just waiting for a little bit of a dip and then I'll get long shares and then start selling options on that. Now you could have done this last week, but you specifically waited, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted VIX. You know, I felt like VIX was showing a lot of promise and you can kind of see um, in the one hour charts, you can see pretty clearly well, I, that VIX I, mean, I, I also meant like because of the earnings, right? You waited to after earnings. And earnings, of course. I wouldn't trade, you know, I wouldn't take a new position just before earnings. But even if, let's just say earnings never happened, I still would have waited for VIX to get below 27.30. You know, because yeah. as long as VIX maintains this here, like if VIX was going sideways, you are not going to see implied volatility come down that much. But because we produce lower high and lower high, yeah, three highs that were same and then lower high here, VIX is going to keep stepping down. That just creates more and more of a tailwind for spies. But if VIX had just chopped around in here, or maybe maybe some Fed official comes out and says, you know what? 
we said three rates a year. We're actually thinking about four. Well, then you could see VIX spike. And so I wanted it to clear this because I felt like once it clears 27.30, then at that point, anybody who's long VIX or long volatility, they're going to unwind their position. Anybody who's got long puts, they're going to say, okay, it's time to start unwinding it. Like the decline on implied volatility be too much to not create an adjustment in positioning. So I felt like this was kind of a catalyst for me to say like, okay, now it's time to start looking at that. Earnings or no earnings, it wouldn't have made a difference. And so I mentioned off the top, Chris Capri runs the Benzinga Options Training School. Um, someone in the chat asked, is this the kind of thing that's taught with a subscription? So Chris, uh, tell people, like, is this the kind of thing that you're doing every day? And I'll bring it up on the screen right now. Uh, yes. In the, in the Benzinga Options Training School? Yes. So every single day, members of the Benzinga Options School get the following. So Monday through Thursday, we teach classes. We have a two-hour class, different subjects each day. And we have eight different lessons that we go through. And then we repeat the lessons so we can go deeper and deeper and deeper into them. So that's Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, we have open office hours. But after classes, Monday through Thursday, we also have an open office hour section where we talk about this live every single day. On top of it, I share my trade ideas. I shared two option trade ideas last week. Any new option trades I'll take this week, I share with them. So I share trade ideas that I'm looking at. We also analyze student trade ideas every single day. You know, we got hundreds of students in the course who have trade ideas that they're thinking about doing. Either they're thinking about doing or they're already in it and they want help with it. And we go over them in real time as well. We do live market analysis once a day. And Monday through Thursday, I also do a pre-market commentary every single day in my own chat section where I basically say, look, here's what's happening in the markets. Here's what he's saying. You know, and this is what I was saying right here. There is no material buildup and calls above the market, but VIX is trending lower. And a VIX daily close below 27 likely leads to implied volatility VIX coming down, which will create a tailwind for equities. So I provide market color every single day. I give them analysis of what's going on in the order flows on the option side, whether that's bullish or bearish, whether volatility should be expansive or contracting, whether we should expect directional moves or not. You know, what's going to be happening? I'm doing that Monday through Thursday every single day. And it's this type of information that I'm sharing with my students every single day for hours every day. Yeah. So, again, can't recommend it enough. It's a, a lot. Like, if you're someone like me, frankly, I I should also be in this school if if I didn't have a you know, full-time job, a day job. <laughs> but I, I, if I didn't, I would 100% be, be here learning from Chris. Yeah. We've definitely had a lot of the BZ team kind of coming in for classes and learning. Yeah. And oh, that's all I didn't do. I didn't even know that I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've had, we've had a few come in and you know, they're, they're not only loving it, but they feel like their option education and skills are just going up light years, you know, every time they come to a class. So, you know, it's, it's, it's super well built and just, we actually did the math. So, you know, at the price that it's at the 1297 price. So keep in mind that is, it's for an entire year. That's 52 weeks. Now let's say I take two weeks off. Okay. Got 50 weeks times three hours of classroom a day. This is not including Fridays times four days a week. That's sorry. I did that wrong. So yeah, 50 weeks times three hours a day equals, and then we times that by uh, four days a week. They're getting 600 hours instruction 
for a price of $12.97. That translates to roughly $2.10 per live hour of instruction. Wow. There's nowhere on the planet you can pay for live instruction from a two-decade veteran for $2.10 per hour. It works because we do it in scale. If it wasn't in scale, it wouldn't work. But because we do it in scale, it works. And so imagine what it would be like to have three hours a day, four days a week, live instruction on options, along with trade ideas, along with analysis on the trades you want to make. Imagine if you have a trade idea, you post it to me, and I'm like, hey, watch about the, for this. Look at the open interest on this. Mm -hmm. Got to watch your position on this. I like this trade, but it'll stop at this level. Just imagine how many bad trades you would avoid it and how many more good trades you would get from that. It pays for itself. So to me, this is, it's a complete no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer for anybody who's thinking about learning options. And again, the link to the, the school is, is is scrolling on the bottom of the screen, but it's also in the description of this video. So uh, check it out. And uh, yeah, CG, we will package, I don't know when, we're not, we're not doing it right now, but, but we will get to a point where we're packaging the options training school with Benzinga Pro. We're just not there at the moment. Um, all right, let's do some ticker time. We got 10 minutes left in this show, and then I'm going to hop off let's and see, see the stage to the Mooner bus, guys. So um, if you have we'll any tickers for Chris, use, what? Uh, let's do some open call outs. So if somebody has yeah. tickers they want to look at, just uh, yeah, yeah, put yeah. it in the chat. For Christian sure. Here, I'll, would love to I'll, do I'll, a I'll show start. with Nick uh, and Chris. Yeah, I'll, I'll start, Chris, because uh, Amazon reports on Thursday after okay, the close. Um, so let's take a look at that. Let's take a look. And then let me pull up some options data on Amazon. And then let me pull up some live data just so I have, see what's going on in the market. Okay, so on the day, Amazon has done 114,000 options, 65,000 calls. Wow. 48,000 puts, which is kind of, it's not bad. It's actually decent in terms of overall volume. Um, prior to today, Amazon had about 433,000 calls and 400,000 puts. So roughly 840,000 options prior to today. And it's added 114,000 options, which is roughly 10%. Uh, it's a little, it's like 14% of the total flows or total open interest. That's decent. In terms of expiry, the next biggest expiry is until February. So Amazon doesn't, have, there's not a lot of traders taking short data options on Amazon right now. They are waiting till after these earnings. So you don't have to worry about short-term options right now and Amazon pushing it up or pushing it down or anything like that. Just looking at the option data, between where are we at, 3,000 now? I think there's going to be some resistance between 3,000 and 3,045, which is, yeah, right around here, like right around 3,040. So I think there's some resistance here. But as Amazon increases in price, the hedging requirements go down. In other words, dealers are shorting less and less the higher it goes up. Sometimes when a stock goes up, dealers actually short more. So that makes it hard for a stock to gain. And then sometimes when a stock goes up, dealers actually short less, which means it makes it easier for a stock to gain. Why, the why higher Amazon that? goes, the easier it gets. You had a question there, my man? Yeah, well, why, 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 why does that matter? Because uh, if you think about it, if you know we just talked about that when VIX comes down, 
dealers unwind their short share hedges. The same thing goes with the stock itself. So let's say the stock is trying to rally, but the dealer hedging requirements force them to actually sell shares as it rallies. Well, then traders are trying to buy, like real money buyers are trying to push the stock up and the dealers are like, uh-uh, we got to sell it. You buy, we got to sell in decent amounts. So it creates kind of a headwind for those stocks to gain and makes it choppier. It makes it harder for it to go up in a straight line. There are going to be other situations where the dealers are actually buying with the market. So there are times the dealers trade with the market and there are times the dealers trade against the market based on their hedging requirements. When they trade to get it against it, it's harder for those stocks to gain. When they trade with it, it's easier for those stocks to go up. So like on a day like VIX, if you look at the five minute chart, and we looked at this thing here, this consistently selling below the nine EMA does not happen if dealers are actually buying into that. But because dealers are trading with it, it keeps the momentum strong to the downside. Okay. It, again, if they were buying into this, if they had to buy VIX, or they had to buy shares in this case, or buy if they were to buy options in VIX as it goes down, this thing would not stay below the nine. It would push back into the 20, maybe even push back into a VWAP. It would push into a lot of other things. That means that it'd be a much choppier pullback. But because they're trading with the market, it's super consistent and high momentum. Okay. That that won't happen if, the, if you're trading against the dealers because they have hedging requirements with all their positions. So yeah, does that make sense? It, uh, you, well, yes, mostly to, to my, uh, well, if you think about it like this gamma squeezes, the reason why a gamma squeeze happens is because the dealers don't have upside protection in that stock. So sure. like when GME happened, dealers didn't have any upside protection on, cause why, on GME. Cause why, cause why would they think to do that? Why would they think they need protection on GME? It's never done anything. It's been a super right. contained stock. And then what happens is traders start coming in and buying shares. And on top of it, they start buying calls and droves. If traders are long calls, the dealers are short calls. If the dealers are short calls and the stock goes up, they have risk to the upside. So how do they hedge that risk? They will start buying shares of GME to hedge that risk. The problem is, is that if that gets accelerative, then the dealers are trading with it. They're also participating in the upside move. They have to keep hedging as it keeps going up and up and up. So that's how you get a gamma squeeze. You're not going to get a gamma squeeze ever if dealers yeah. are trading against the market. So okay. that's that's why yeah. it's important to understand what are the dealer hedging requirements around a stock because you could be thinking, hey, this is going to gamma squeeze. I'm going to rip it. And it just doesn't get that because dealers are trading against you. You want to be wait, trading wait, just... with the dealers as much as possible. All right, wait, let's do a couple more tickers here. We've got like three minutes left. Uh, cool. Let's do PayPal for Christian, and then we'll do Splunk after that. Okay. PayPal is running because I think it's Wednesday for PayPal. I don't know. Yeah, the last two weeks have been good for pretty busy on the earnings. Okay, so prior to today, PayPal had about 702,000 calls and 625,000 puts. The thing about with PayPal is that the majority of options on PayPal are not till February 18th. So option traders are not taking a whole lot of trades on PayPal for these earnings. So we don't we don't have to worry about options kind of skewing the volatility one way or another. It's going to be mostly driven by share volume and then after earnings responses to that. But looking at PayPal, where are we at? 
170. I feel like 180 and 200 are going to act as resistance. Unless we get a gangster earnings. You know, let's put the... Unless we get a really gangster earnings out of that. I feel like 180 is going to create some stiff resistance. And then right here. And this kind of makes sense because... Do, do you, if you look at I'm all sorry, this price yeah. action, there's going to be a lot of hedging requirements in here. There's going to be a lot of positions in here. So PayPal may clear the first hurdle, but the more it goes up into here, the harder this resistance will become. Do you ever look so, at expected moves? What kind of expected move do we expect on PayPal? Yeah. Do you ever you factor that in? in yeah, in we'd have to see. We'd want to look at implied volatility. Like when is it tomorrow? Yeah, we'd want to look at the implied volatility going in or uh, tomorrow morning before earnings and then we'd have an idea is it before or after market it's it, paypal reports um tomorrow after the after the close so after yeah. the market close yeah. so what we'd want to do is we'd want to look at implied volatility uh at the open what are the at the money calls with on the open then we'd want to look at the architecture of the options and then we can make a forecast to move how much would it move up and down but yeah we'd want to do that the day before all right uh splunk last one here splk SP, okay. And if you want more tickers from Chris, well, you know what? You're just going to have to sign up for the Benzinga Options Trade School. <laughs> that's, it, that's it. All right. This is a, what I would call a mild option stock in terms of options. It's got about 118,000 calls and 61,000 puts. You know, so about 100. It's almost, it's almost 200,000 options. The options volume today, though, is low, 7,600 which means that traders, option traders are not pushing this around. They're not getting bullish or bearish. I don't see a lot of options on this expiring until February 18th. So I would look for resistance on this. How far ahead? I think 131, 132, this starts to encounter resistance. Now, again, I don't know what earnings is going to play out or anything like that. We got a while. So, yeah. I think 131, 132 starts becoming stiff resistance. Like the more it goes into that territory, the harder it's going to get breaking through to the upside. Awesome. All right. Chris Capri joins us every single Monday for a half hour or so to talk about uh, trades he's making and take questions from the chat. If this is not enough, Chris, for you, well, I have good news. Um, a, he, again, every single week, but also every single day, in the Benzinga Options Trading School, the link has been going at the bottom of the screen this entire time. It is also in the chat. I'm sorry, in the description of this video. So uh, check it out for real. Uh, Chris, have a great rest of your day and uh, have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you again uh, on Monday. You do the same. Be well. All righty. I, I got to hop here because I got Moon or Bus going live right now and they, they want my desk. They want they're here in office and they want my space, which is which is fine. So I'm gonna hop off and let them have the desk. Everyone hit that like button for me, please. Thanks to all of our guests today. Thanks to Chris Capri. Thanks to Jake Wajastic. Uh, thanks to uh, Matt Hammond and thanks to Peter Wall, the CEO of Argo Blockchain. Thanks to all of you in our chat. Aaron Bree will be back tomorrow, or so I'm told. Uh, so we'll have more fun on tomorrow's show. Uh, but hey, I enjoyed Ryan Solo. If you enjoyed that as well, then uh, let me know. But uh, I'm hopping off. Moon or bust. Talking about Justin Bieber buying a bored ape. Yeah, I don't, maybe. I don't know. All right, Moon or bust going live right now. 
the stream will end or redirect to that. Everyone have a great rest of your day. I'll catch you guys on At The Close in an hour and a half. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.